I don't know what it was. He's walking upright like a man. Sightings in and around Vermont. Bigfoot sightings across New England have been reported. Red glowing eyes, about seven feet tall. Red eyes, big old fang claws coming out through, three inches long, you know, just sharp as they can be. There has been another UFO sighting flying over the Royal Botanic Gardens. There are 500 UFO sightings in the world every month. The truth is out there. Okay, it's waveform, waveform, wave, waveform. SIDS. SIDS. Why are you saying, what, no. <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> All right, I'm hitting like 18, a little uh, under 18. Maybe I should there we go. a little higher. Uh, Testing, one, two, one, two. Hello. It should be. Hello. Okay. Whatever we it. end up with should be okay. Because what I do is I split everything into three different um, frequency bands, compress mm -hmm. the fuck out of it, rejoin them, compress the fuck out of that, and then send it to a master track and then compress the fuck out of that. <laughs> so hopefully everything comes out kind of normalish. It's just compression all the way down. It's just... Remember when we used to... Remember when we used to not, like explicitly say when we were starting recording oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um all right let's uh let's do this so yes. three two one and we'll remember to do another one at the end yes just to be sure um okay so brandon yes uh we we had some weird difficulties last time because of like sampling rates and nonsense. So there was like a weird drift, which honestly, I think you did a fine job. It, it took me back <laughs> to the good it. old days because I went from um, editing out every like cough and like audible breathe because mm -hmm. I used to do that. And I don't know, you can probably tell I don't anymore. Um, but now what I did was every few seconds, I'd cut a track in between words and and shift it over just the littlest amount so that all of our speech would come back to being natural. So I went back to, you know, making an edit every few seconds. And it, it turned out pretty well, I think. It's back to the old days. Back to it's the old good school. old days. <laughs> um, so, uh, speaking of good old days. Yes. I mentioned this in the Discord a little bit, oh, but no. uh, I was going through. So, here's the story. Where was this um, file I even? was trying Huh? Where was the? Did he have like, I'll an tell old hard you drive? In a second. I I'll tell you where it was exactly. Just give me a let me let me <laughs> unfold this tale. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to use my PS Vita, um, because I think the PS Vita is actually a really cool piece of hardware and it had some fucking amazing games on it. Um, but my PS Vita was like kind of fucked up a little bit, right? Oh wait, no, this wasn't my Vita. This was, was my computer's BIOS. Oh. This is my computer's BIOS being so fucked. So, for reference, my computer's BIOS was, like, on version 2 or something like that, and they're up to, like, 51G or something. Oh, good. So, um, because basically what was happening was I was like, man, my RAM is, like, being a bitch and a half. Like, what is going on, right? So, I purchased some RAM on Amazon at first, right? Yeah. I had put the order in for additional RAM because I'm like, Ah, maybe I just need more RAM sticks. Which, to be fair, I do need more RAM sticks, but um, that's a whole other issue altogether. So, I was like trying to overclock. I was trying to set my my. Uh, I, I looked into my RAM and I realized that the like clockings and timings were all wrong for yeah. like what stock was. So I was like, that fucking sucks. So let me go into BIOS and try and fix that. 
So I enabled the XMP profile, right? Which is mm-hmm. this thing that, like, in theory, there's like a thing stored on the RAM module or, or the DIM module that has like a bunch of information about how the the module should be clocked in a computer, right? So how fast it is, what all these various timings are. It matters because it it determines how quickly like your computer is able to access the RAM and stuff along those lines, right? Um, so I was in a jacked up state because my RAM was operating at 1000 megahertz, which is not a lot. Um, so, so I tried to enable the XMP profile, which I should also know I have, my RAM was rated for 3000 megahertz, right? Um, and it, it only set it to like 256 or something like that, or to like, 2560 something like that so i'm like what the fuck is going on try to turn it on computer keeps power cycling right which means that there's an unstable clock or an unstable voltage or something along those lines so i'm like god damn it what the fuck this is a very long story to tell to talk to introduce (laughs) this this concept of how i found this this file um so ultimately i'm like all right i'll i'll let me try updating the bios because i couldn't individually alter the the clock speeds i only can enable xmp profiles so i go i go get the 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 bios i'm like jesus that's bad that's when i posted the picture to instagram of like yeah my bios are a little bit off yeah um so i was looking for a i was looking for a um flash drive because i needed to flash the BIOS and there's like a whole process that I needed to do where I had yeah. to use um some file like some some tool that let me boot make the flash drive bootable all that stuff. So I'm like, what flash drive am I gonna use? Right? Because like I got a few flash drives um that are just lying around the house in various locations because that's just the way I live my life. I just have flash drives everywhere. Yeah, um, I've got some on my keychain. <laughs> like they're just around. Yeah. Well, my one of them was on a windowsill. The one that I ended up using ultimately yeah. was on a windowsill. So, you know, that's that's just my life. I mean, I also think I have like six computers, like computers that I could use as a computer lying yeah. around the house. So, that's that's just like my house. Um so I I grab my so I have a a, a knockoff Cheetor uh flash drive, right? Was just about to ask cuz that one John, I have almost the same flash drive in that closet behind yeah. me. No, it's literally that the same flash the drive because I bought the. We got yeah, them at I the bought same the knockoff probably. one. Uh, no, you got yours first. I had the official one for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, and then the tail broke off on it, and I was like really upset about that. Yeah. So I bought another official one, and I haven't used it because I was like, I'm like, I don't want to break the tail again. Preserve the sanctity um, of the flash drive. Yeah. So I bought a knockoff one so I could have it as like a desk toy slash flash drive. Yeah. Um, so I plug that in and I'm like, ah, fuck, there's a bunch of files on here. I wonder what these files are. And that's how I came across a piece of our history that <laughs> is questionable as hell. It's questionable. Um, so it's cursed for sure. What, what Brandon? Oh, I said it's it's cursed yeah. for sure. Uh oh. I'm losing you. Oh, I was losing you. I or we're losing you. each other. Oh, internet. Internet. Oh, no. why? oh, we're back. 
Okay. So, so it was questionable, right? Um, for for basically what there was is there is there was an original podcast that we were going to do <laughs> about a decade ago, and that flesh. It was called the trip lived. It was called trip to cast. It was called trip to cast. Oh, that flash that file has moved between hard drives and flash drives over the years because it did not originate on that flash drive because <laughs> I got that flash drive. When I was in grad school, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so this this file it's a thirty six minute long audio recording of us, um, and our friend Nick. So there's three of us. We're sitting in a uh, unfurnished apartment while we're recording this. Keep in mind, yeah, just uh, in on the a, corner. Yeah, on like one of those uh, what you call it mics, like a like the, the, the singing mics. The snowball mic, or like a yeti, no, not or even a snowball. Like, like, no, it wasn't even a yeti. It was like a literal, like, was it like an actual, it literal, like, like SM57 fifty seven or something like that? It, it was like an actual mic that you yeah. would hand to someone on stage, yeah, if they had a mic in their hand. So, um, which is just like the completely wrong type of mic for what we were trying to do, uh, which I had purchased from the Best Buy that no longer exists. That's um, where you can I remember get your that shots Dave, now. Yeah. I remember that day very like vividly um, because also uh, Nick, it was in Nick's apartment, right? Yeah. So it was, it, it was echoey as shit. Um, and the, uh, whatchamacallit, um, we didn't have internet access, right? <laughs> the I time. forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, well, be, I only remember that because Nick uh, Nick makes a joke about uh, don't you make fun of my poverty or don't you talk about my poverty. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so I listened to it and it's kind of funny, but it's also really fucking offensive. That <laughs> like is it's probably pretty wild, especially it being a decade old. It is not publishable. I was going to publish it to the, I was going to publish it to, um, the, the Patreon, but I was like listening to it and like, I was editing out some of like the more egregious bits, right? (laughs) And I, I started at, I, I I found a bit in the middle where we were talking about like ducks and stuff. Yeah. I know. I remember that. You know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. So I was like, all right, well, let me just go back to the beginning because I'm going to have to edit a bunch of this. Brandon, your introduction, I, I, I would have had to edit out. Wait, what? Oh, I need to hear this intro. <laughs> so, I can't imagine what I thought would have been like trying to be funny well, as an intro would have been a decade ago. Well, well Brandon, uh, I started the episode as the only podcast in which all three hosts have been kicked out of a petting zoo for different reasons. <laughs> and yeah. mine was... Uh, that's a pretty good was, opening line. I, st- that, I still think that's funny. It, it was pretty good. I think mine was um, Grand Larceny, uh-huh. and Nick's was, uh, Nick's was punching a lemur in the fucking face. Yeah. Or something along those lines, because he said, like, that lemur had it fucking coming. Yeah. Um... You, Brandon, I can't even be, I can't even begin to describe what you had done. What animal was it? <laughs> uh, it might have been a lemur. I think, I think you were the lemur. Um, I'm going to send you what you said in chat, but do not say it. Oh, okay. I'll use my inside reading voice in my, I'll read it in my head. 
Oh, <laughs> I'm kind of excited to see what I thought I would have been good to get away with. Um. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so after I heard that. And oh, then I like went forward a little bit more, and then like, <laughs> I am a fucking genius. It, it just stayed like that the whole way. Um, the and the worst part is, Brandon. This was after we did an edit because um, there's a whole section of audio that is lost to time, in which I talk about uh, Katawa Shoujo, yeah. uh, which is I think translates roughly to Broken Girls. <laughs> Which is um, oh man, <laughs> it's a it's a very interesting game involving a bunch of individuals with various oh uh, I remember physical this disabilities. Yeah. yeah, I remember um, this. Th- I think this started like yeah. a whole debate with, or I started a debate with you because of Cadwar Shoujo because you called it a game, and in my head it was more of a book. Well, it was a visual novel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which you could play as not super horny or you could play as the horniest wait is this why you retweeted someone making a comment about Toph no that was just because that was a funny comment okay yeah Uh, uh, the only reason I I retweeted the Toph thing was because that was funny this is a whole nother thing okay you're not trying to put Toph into Kadawa Shoujo Nah, no, Toph, Toph was too power is too powerful for Kato Shoujo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. but yeah, so that that was my uh I was like very excited to share it, and then I started <laughs> listening to it and I'm like We can no, never release is, any of this. <laughs> no one can ever no one can ever hear any of this. This is the this is like terrible. Um because also, remember, you were the person in charge of finding, like, topics to talk about. Yeah. That, for the first one. I feel and like... And you made a crayon, a crayon-based, like, sheet. I really channeled my inner Charlie Day for the topics. Yeah. It was pretty Charlie Day-esque. Uh, we talked about papal genitalia at least once. Yep. I saw, there was the Latin thing. They have to confirm that they have to inspect the Pope's genitals before they actually become the mm-hmm. Pope. Because one time there was a lady Pope and they're like, we can't do that again. Anywho. <laughs> so, Brandon, this is um, this, this week's episode might be one of the uh, the longest ones I've ever written for a single episode. Okay. Totally on accident, by the way. Um, and just just hang in there because eventually we reach Madame Blavatsky in the oh good uh, in the trajectory of this episode. So this is going to be a wild ride. So get get ready, <laughs> just b- buckle up, buckle up. I want to know um, how she's because tied to a cryptid. It's way more upsetting than you could ever possibly imagine. Yeah, I've got some thoughts. I I, I I recently listened to some things about spiritualism. I can come up with some 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 upsetting things. Well, I mean, theosophy's a nightmare in some ways, uh, especially the version that was pitched by Blavatsky. But we'll get to that. We'll save that for the part of the episode where uh, the fifth of the episode <laughs> where I talk about that like chain of events that led me to Madame Blavatsky from this cryptid. An entire um, fifth. Okay. 
Yes, yes. Uh, if we're talking about the entirety of the podcast, so I wrote about, mm, let me see, let's open up this word count. Uh, I wrote 5,200 words for this, epi- this episode. Okay. And about a thousand of those are about the link between this cryptid and Madame Blavatsky. Oh, um, good. Yeah. Uh, so, anywho, this is Cryptopedia, which I'm sorry uh, to that person who really, really hates the fact that it takes us so long to get to the actual cryptid. I mean, really, as a rule of thought, uh, like a rule of thumb, if you don't want to listen to the cold open, just like jump ahead 10 minutes or yeah. then five minutes. Skip. Because, like, usually that'll get you where you need to be. Skip to five if we're still not on a thing. Skip to 10. You're probably in the money then. Yeah, I mean, not this time, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, anywho, I'm John. I'm Brandon. And let's get into this week's cryptid, Brandon. So, it's been 43 episodes since we last talked about uh, a supernatural entity related to the, the topic of this episode. What was our last um, supernatural? Which... No, no, no. The, the type of supernatural entity. Oh, gotcha. Our last supernatural entity was like two episodes ago. Yeah, I think that number seems off, but okay. Um, I, I, Brandon, remember I did like a whole ghost, like a chain of like four episodes of four or five episodes about ghosts. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's, that's, that doesn't, that's not whatever. Um, but actually I was super surprised because, uh, I honestly had thought we had talked about werewolves since then, but we hadn't. Oh, is this another, I uh, was, Wolfie Wolf? It, it's a, it's a, wolf. it's a. It's complicated, but it is it is a it is typically called a werewolf okay. or a dog man. Um, but I'm not going to really belabor the point on what werewolves are uh, because yeah. the rules of the werewolf, and of course, as you know, uh, their lack of affinity for kickball while listening to the song uh, "Supermassive Black Hole" um, are all well, well documented in the zeitgeist. <laughs> um. You've seen that. You've seen that, right? The I, the Twilight parody. Oh, Twilight? No. Wait. Did I see this? So I did watched I see this? the. I. You probably did because it's in. What I we saw do in the this shadows. and didn't know it was a Twilight parody. It's a parody. Of, well, Guillermo says at the very beginning of it, "Let's do this Twilight style. Let's play kickball." See, I've in never the fight seen between the, the vampires. In the, yeah. So to prepare for this, I watched the Twilight thing because I had oh, like no. this misinterpretation. Yeah. that the werewolves were present in that, right? So, because that was originally what my joke was going to be about Twilight. Yeah. Um, But turns out it's just the vampires, and they have to play during thunderstorms because they hit the ball so hard that it sounds like thunder. <laughs> and they hit oh. the ball so far that it ends up in the woods, and the one character's like, oh, that's got to be a home run. And then the other character's like, no, Edward's pretty fast. Oh, and he runs to he runs and catches the ball like a kilometer away from the the base, like the bases. It's, so, you know, and and all of this is happening while uh supermassive black hole is that it? Yeah. By uh Muse is playing. You know, the supermassive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is such an, it is up there in terms of the most insane things in media that have happened and had like a wide scale release. The wildest writing. I don't, I don't think I understand YA novels anymore because like 
the ones I liked was was like Ender's Game and shit like that. They, I couldn't. I just couldn't with this. Just, the only thing, the only thing with Ender's Game is like literally don't look into Orson Scott Card's politics at all, and then you're ever, you'll be fine ever, and you're fine same, ever. Same don't thing. like, don't like. <laughs> you know, just don't ever look at any like author or, or, or artists, anything. Like, don't just ignore Salvador Dali. Ignore like just there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, creative J.K. Rowling works of art that we collectively have to just decide um, spontaneously formed from nothingness. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, but anywho, uh, did you know that actually Twilight was a Fifty Shades of Grey uh, Was it Visa or fiction? Versa, was it Versa Visa? Oh, was it the other way? I think it, it was the other, other way. way. That's I think right. Fifty Shades, 50 Shades is, of Grey was a fucking... Fan fiction. <laughs> it was a Twilight fanfic. I got it mixed up. Either way, that's insane. Yeah, it's wild. Like, there's there's no way in which that's, like, a normal, rational thing, right? No. I, I, I don't <sighs> know. Anywho, so mythologically speaking, the werewolf has supposedly, has kind of existed since Greek mythology. Um, basically, what happened was King Lycon of Pelasgia. I can't speak Greek. I have a Greek... <laughs> I have a Greek uh, advisor, and my, like, Greek skills are shit awful. I used to um, work with a Greek chef, and he only taught me the wildest shit. Like, he was just a very old man, and he would just come out, point to a customer, and then just start saying some wild shit. And he'd be like, you know what that means, eh? And I can't repeat any of it. <laughs> but it was Yeah, it's basically... Wild. I'm gonna assume it's like... I'm gonna assume it's like the 2012 podcast episode it was the 2012 podcast episode but like i was like in the position of a like innocent person like oh let's try a new podcast and he was like a six and as a teenager he was like a 60 year old version of us just spouting wild shit i was like oh man i can't believe you're saying this to me so anywho lycon was one of the first mortals like yeah like you know very beginning ones um, and he fed a meal consisting of a sacrificed child to Zeus. As long as it's seasoned, it's good. Yeah, so the, the child was either his son or someone else or something along those lines. I've yeah. seen multiple, like, tellings of it. Um, Zeus, knowing what Lycon was up to, cursed Lycon to roam the earth as a wolf. Thus, the first werewolf was born from an act of impiety. Um, <laughs> so does for- that mean Zeus would turn uh, Cartman into a werewolf? Um... No, because Cartman fed, ground up uh, his own father. Oh, uh, it, it it's to kind Scott of the Tenerman, opposite. Cause that's, yeah, because remember that? Like, it ended up becoming that Scott Tenderman's dad was actually his dad. Yeah. So, so it would have been, so like, Cartman's dad yeah. would have had to have ground up Cartman and fed him to Scott Tenerman. Would kind have of? been a more similar analogy. If, if Scott Tenerman is Zeus in the story. Yeah. Which he is. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for a breakdown of modern werewolves, uh, you should check out episode 75 of this very podcast, um, where we cover the Beast of Jevedon, which is arguably the incident responsible for the existence of werewolves in Twilight. Um, it's, it's definitely responsible for like the creation of the modern American werewolf from back in the day. Yeah. I mean, um... That it also means that it's responsible for that weird like fucking imprinting thing that was in the Twilight books. 
where oh. one of the werewolves like imprinted on a child, like a infant, yeah. and was like, "You're my soulmate." To an infant, and they were a fully grown adult. Yeah, yeah. Just like R. Kelly. Yeah. Anyway. Good lord. So this week's primary source is the Beast of Bray Road, Tailing Wisconsin's Werewolf by Linda Godfrey, um, who is the reporter who initially broke the story. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. There's also a, a documentary that's free on Amazon Prime called The Bray Road Beast, I think. It's in the show notes um, that I watched to prepare for this. Uh, pretty much all of the information about this is filtered through Linda Godfrey, which is very important. Very important. Remember, everything that I'm going to be talking about in this episode about the cryptid is filtered through Linda Godfrey. There is nobody else involved, like, really heavily in this story. Gotcha. She is the main focal point for anything involved in this story. Okay. She's like the gatekeeper of the Beast of Bray Road. The sole lens from which we are viewing everything. Pretty much. Like... Because I feel like the only person who consistently talks about it, too, is her. We're, um, we're wearing our werewolf glasses, and she's our prescription. Basically. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh... It, gets, it gets super wild, too, by the way, towards Good. the end. Um, she has a hypothesis for what it is, and it is batshit insane. Considering that, that there are like way that. easier there are way easier explanations for what it is than, than what she says. Um. So we got to take a trip to Wisconsin, Brandon. So get your cheese hat on. Got it, um, got it. Because we're going to southeastern Wisconsin, bit bit south of Milwaukee. Um, we, Elkhorn, the town in which all this is happening. Cool name. Location near it. I like names like yeah, that. Yeah, it's actually there's an, there's an in, there's a very interesting story behind the name. Um, huh. So Elkhorn is a relatively small city, and it acts as the seat of Walworth County government, which is the county in which most of this stuff is going to happen in. Um, as of 2019, the population is estimated at approximately 10,000, uh, people, nearly twice the population count of the 1990 census, which was somewhere near like 5,300 something. Right. Yeah. Um, which is important because that's about when this story takes place. So it's got small town uh, vibes. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very small. I mean, like compared to Kingston, it's minuscule. Um, so unsurprisingly, for a town centered in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, the population is overwhelmingly white. Um, 91.4% <laughs> of the population in 2010 was white. Uh, and to set the tone for the type of place that, that Elkhorn is, uh, one of its claim to fame is that it is the Christmas card town. Oh. Uh, because resident artist Jan Castle-Reed started a series of oil paintings of the town landmarks that would eventually uh, be used on popular Christmas cards. So you've probably seen, like, landmarks from... From Elkhorn. Uh, yeah, if you've, if you've, like, ever been around Christmas cards. Which is insane. Um, but most bafflingly of the, like, little factoids about it, uh, the town is named by... Colonel Samuel Phoenix, who in 1836 saw a rack of elkhorns in a tree and decided to name the area based on that. But Brandon, elk aren't indigenous to elkhorn. Oh, wait, what? 
<laughs> it is nowhere near where elk are commonly found. Meaning somebody had brought a rack of antlers to the middle of nowhere and then yeah. just hung it in a tree. <laughs> Someone was on a bender. Which, like, well, like to me, that's like, all right, I, I just hauled this, like, because elk, elk are fucking huge. Yeah. Right? Elk horn are fucking huge. So somebody took that in the eighteen early 1800s and just fucking lugged it all the way to fucking Wisconsin for some reason. And then we're just like, fuck it, I'm leaving it in this tree. Yeah, that's, somebody was on a, uh, uh, what's that movie was that Galifianakis, and there's the baby with the sunglasses and the wolf The pack. Hangover? The Hangover. Someone did a yeah. version, their own version of The Hangover, just got they hammered did. with an elk they horn an and eight- had a great adventure. They did an 1800s uh, uh, The Hangover. Yeah. Which, um... Which, if my memory's correct, there's not there is some like questionable stuff in the hangover, so I I only imagine that the eighteen hundreds version of it was even more questionable. It will either be innocent or just wildly terrible. Yeah. I, I mean it's the eighteen hundreds in an area that is now ninety one point four percent white people. So, so let's just assume terrible. it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Let's assume wildly terrible. Um so local weirdness and whiteness aside. Uh, we're here for a series of sightings that canonically entered the public consciousness in 1991. So, uh, Bray Road is a three-ish mile road that connects Highway 11 with County Road NN to the east of Elkhorn. For those of you who've been to Elkhorn, I assume this factoid conjured a perfect image of the road. For everyone else, uh, on both sides, the road is lined with farms, cornfields, marshes, and scrub woods. Uh, this is all to say that the road is relatively r- rural, not super inviting to outsiders, you know, that kind of, like, vibe. Yeah. Which is, like, half of the roads near where we grew up. Yeah. Um, but unsurprisingly, the uh, the road is also named for the multi-generational Bray family of farmers who own most of the land surrounding the road. Oh, okay. Um, I-, I just also want to take a beat to say I always find it so weird when, like, authors like rattle off like all these geographic facts that are like super hyper local to the uh to the area cuz it's like that doesn't get that gives me no picture of what's happening <laughs> yeah. like yeah the uh the the incident was uh about a quarter mile from the Johnsons house which if you yeah. lived there you would know is you know right across from the Pearsons yeah. anyway and you're like that gave yeah. me nothing that gave me nothing yeah and you turn left at the hot dog stand yeah you know you know the place right the hot dog stand that's only there like for three months. Yeah. Three months out of the year. It's behind yeah, the rock one. where Billy broke his leg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one. We, we, you know where it is. Person in fucking, I don't know, Wisconsin. Talking about a place in Idaho. Whatever. Fuck you. Um, so, Linda Gottfried and a lot of people uh, placed the historic origins of the story at 1936. Um, I'm going to place it at 1991. Okay. Because uh reasons that I'll describe in a bit. Uh I think I think the nineteen thirty six sighting is more or less bullshit, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um so rumors had been swirling in the town of Elkhorn after October thirty first in nineteen ninety one when high school senior Doris Gibson had a strange encounter. It was a foggy night as the teenager was driving down the aforementioned Bray Road. Her front tire was lifted up off the ground as if she had hit something, which is a terrible feeling. <laughs> that to just like, like 
lose a little bit of control of your of your car. Yeah, I mean, when I pulled out of I pulled out of a uh, a parking lot and ran over like a fucking wall once and it shredded my tire. You ran over a wall. So like, yeah, it's like the, the little the way curb it, so things. No, no, no. So uh, I don't know if you've been to the to Nick and Mike's place yeah. ever. So they're just down the street that, from my like, place. Yeah, yeah, there's like a little like parking lot under there oh that wall and that like goes that like that like retaining wall yeah yeah, yeah. it it fucking shredded my tire <laughs> um anywho so as as i'm sure anyone would do after hitting something like you know in the dark you're gonna want to get out check for damage right because yeah. like realistically like want to check that also you want to make sure you didn't hit like a kid that's usually because it's also Halloween. I know it's a rural <laughs> road, but it's Halloween. Yeah, the chance of hitting a kid is non-zero. Um, although it appears that this wasn't super duper late, as we'll get to in a second. Um, so she got out of the out of the car to check what she had hit, and you know, for damage to the car, uh, she had stopped some fifty to sixty feet away from the impact site. Um, she hadn't seen anything as she was driving, so she yeah. assumed to be like a relatively small animal or something along those lines, right? Because because like you you would expect to see it in you would expect to see it if you hit it right yeah typically um but also it was foggy so like you know there's a lot of circumstances um when walking to the rear of her car however uh she allegedly saw what she had hit and it was a creature that was bigger than herself no um no you would have seen that there's yeah the, the largest you cannot notice i'll say on a foggy night is a groundhog is it, I, I think I think I think a dark dog is is missable. Oh yeah, if they're really dark, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. Like that's that's possible. Or like a grayish dog, right? Like a yeah. kind of a kind of like muddled mudda, like a, a muted muddled color. Like I think that could be missable on a foggy night. Um, yeah, I could see that. I, I I think anything bigger than like a mid sized dog though, or like you know. I, I don't think that's going to be super missable, but I think that that's missable. Yeah. Um, so uh, she described the beast as being bigger than any dog she had seen with straight, long brown hair. The creature was muscular and Doris Pat in the original article, which is very important because for a second, I thought that they hadn't even mentioned her story, even though it was the story that like yeah. spawned everything. Um, which is a bigger deal for a reason you'll see in a second when you see Pat's pic when you see Doris's picture. Uh -huh. um, uh, she emphatically noted it did not look like a German shepherd. As she noticed it, the creature sped at her, chest pulsating, suggesting to the student that it was running on two legs. So I assume huh. like like I, I don't know how what, don't, what that means, but is like, it like crumping as it comes at her? <laughs> like, Maybe that would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> That'd be the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life. It's like a human-sized dog crump sprinting, just like whoa, whoa, oh man! It just it just came from the aughts. Yeah, was, was crumping the aughts. I yeah, think. Yeah. It it just crumped out of the aughts into the nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Um. So, uh, she thought that it was running on two legs. Basically, is what the long and short of it is. Yeah. Um. By the time she made it back into her car, it had already reached the trunk, suggesting some impressive speed. Um. I did. I actually did. Uh, look into it, and I'll talk about that in a second. But um, 
if 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 it was going like around twenty five miles per hour, which is uh-huh. not unheard of for even a bear, yeah, um, which is you know a thing that may or may not be related to this. Um, uh, it, it, if if the bear was going its top speed, it would be able to close that gap in a, in a second, literally. Um, and if we're talking about acceleration, second, yeah. it would be an actual second. I did the math. Like if it was at its top speed, it would reach it in a literal second. Um, but like with acceleration, it'd probably closer to like five seconds, which yeah. given human reaction time seems pretty reasonable. Um, so to her perspective though, it was outpacing any human, uh, she could recall, which does kind of put it into like the 25 mile per hour range. Cause like the top like running speed of a human is like 26 miles per hour. Usain Bolt, um, unless you're Jay Laser, then it's 29. What? Oh, he like strapped a bunch of high powered fans on himself so he could do uh, a Naruto run faster than uh, Usain Bolt and uh, was was somewhat successful. <laughs> somewhat. I like I like the cl- the cl- uh, the clarifier on that that he was somewhat successful. Well, the, the issue is he can't he move your legs fast enough at that speed. So it turned from a Naruto mm-hmm. run to like just keeping his feet out in front of him and sliding as the fans like propelled him. Amazing. So I, I wouldn't call it a successful Naruto run at that speed, but he did manage to move that fast with his feet on the ground. I mean, at that point, you might as well just ride a bike. Yeah. Oh god. They should just strap the the fan onto his back with a bike. There's. I'm so sick like of these skates. these electric bicycles. They're everywhere. Oh, me too. They're just. They just me fly. Too. They go like full. Like they'll pass me on the road and then just blow through red lights. And I'm like, man. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> I I was like driving and some some dude on a bicycle. Like I think it was. <laughs> I think it was Lucas near the turnoff to, uh, uh, High Falls. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, which is like. Everyone obviously knows what that is, Everyone, exactly like I was talking just about Just guilty before. of the th- exact thing you were just going like, yeah. a road yeah. that has a four-way intersection and there's a left. Yep. Yep, yep. Uh, it was it was the right. Oh, the down. right, the right. Right for High Falls. So, left well, Rosendale. actually, left if we're coming from your your old, your old parents' house yeah. to my parents' house. Oh, right, right from, from your parents' from my, house. Yeah. Yeah. So, same... Same. We're both thinking of the same thing. Dude just blasted through that intersection on a bike. Yeah, like people don't even like, like a regular bike. Like slow down. It's crazy. He didn't even have a. He didn't even have like an electric motor either. He did it <laughs> on like a regular bike, yeah. which to me was like Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Yeah. Ugh, fucking people around here. <laughs> um, but I really hate those electric bikes. They people ride them on the rail trail all the time, and I always feel. I always feel it always like makes me feel like ashamed in some way because what? I'm like, oh, I'm not as fast as a motor. <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn these legs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so anyways, uh, when Doris got back into the car, uh, she slammed on this acceleration to get away from the dog like creature. Uh, the beast slid off her trunk and left scratch marks. Um, and if before you ask, there sure as fuck wasn't a photo, Brandon. Oh, there, um, there's a rubbing though, right? There's a rubbing. She took out a rubbing, like a paper and a piece of well, charcoal. Well, okay. So there's a lot to this. I think, so before we keep going, I think Doris is the only person who actually saw something or had something happen to her. Yeah. Um. 
but we'll get into my reasoning for why that is towards the end of the episode when I'm talking about what it could have been. Okay. Uh, but I, like, legitimately think that she was the only person who saw something. Uh, huh. Because almost everything else that we hear is, like, secondhand or thirdhand stuff. Yeah. And, like, occasionally it's firsthand people. Um, and most of the stuff that happened before everything happened uh, after Doris start like Doris's story happened, right? Okay. So like, I'm not confident that anything other than Doris's is accurate. Um, but we'll talk about that in more depth before we get into my Helen of Lavatsky link for this uh, cryptid. Okay. Um. So interestingly, though, Brandon, this would not be the last time Doris would see the creature. Uh, she picked up her mother's boyfriend's 11-year-old daughter after trick-or-treating around 9 p.m. So, like, kind of putting, like, getting back to the point, this is not that late that this no. happened. Right? Um, which also adds some questions because it is Halloween and, like, it is a back road. So, like, random shit could happen. <clears throat> yeah, but or we'll, even just we'll... kids taking a shortcut down a back road, rocking, lock, walking down the side of the road. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, is, um, so uh, we're going to talk about this in a bit, but, like, Linda Grodfried says it multiple times, like, why would someone wait on the side of a road just to mess with people? And I'm oh, like... it's Halloween. <laughs> are, are you... Are you serious? Because, like, I know a fuck ton of people who would have just done that. Yeah. Like... <laughs> like... A lot. <laughs> Like, a lot. Like, most of the people that we went to high school would, would do that. Yeah. In a heartbeat. I don't recall having done that, but if someone told me that I did something like that, I would just go, yeah, yep, sure. Like, I would believe that yeah, I would have no, done that. Yeah, uh, I, I no, would, I would totally believe it, too. <laughs> um, I wouldn't believe it if someone said that about me. But that's because I was, like, I was, like, a... As straight edge as straight edge comes. But that's a whole thing. You just didn't want to be a witness. <laughs> Pretty much. Honestly. Like... Honestly. Well, no. That's, like, actually true. Yeah. I did not want to be a witness because yeah. I didn't want to be a rat. Yeah. Right? Like, like it's like, listen, I can't lie. So, like, I'm just not going to see this. Yeah. Because <laughs> I am the failure point. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, I, I don't give a I shit what you guys are doing. The weakest link in this chain of terrible ideas. Yes, they will target me, and they will find out what you did. Every single detail, yeah. they will find out. Do not trust me. <laughs> not because I'm, I, I am not trustworthy, but because I cannot lie for shit. Yeah. And if someone puts the pressure on me, I will fucking fold like a house of cards. <laughs> You will and, fold like a drunken yoga instructor. <laughs> mm -hmm. Honestly, that's, I think, like, I remember the one time we went into Kingston and your mom, like, called and was like, where are you? Because you were, yeah. like, grounded or something. <laughs> and you were like, I'm with John. And your mom was like, okay, let yeah. me just see that you're with John. And she saw that she, she saw that you were with me and she was like, okay, yeah. it's fine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm just the, like, I'm the one that the adults were like, okay, we know we can, we know we can go to that dude because he's going to be the one who, who says everything. Like, there's, he literally can't help himself. There, there will be no bad shenanigans happening. There might be shenanigans, but none of them will be like, 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're, yeah. None of them will have, like, the police won't come looking. <laughs> Most likely. But probably Plus, probably I'm just won't. like, probably won't. Um, if it gets to that point, I'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's coming back at 9 p.m. with this, this kid in the car. Um, and she takes Ray Road back, which is, I thought was interesting. Um, but like, it's also just a road. So like, yeah, whatever. And she's in a car. So like, I wouldn't be super afraid. Even if something scratched the back of my car, I wouldn't be super afraid of it. I'd just go down the road again. Yeah. Right. Like if it was, if I thought it was an animal, like I'm not going to think that it's like going to break into the car. No, no. Personally. Same. Oh shit! Especially so, now that there's like backup cameras, then you can like drive in reverse and just look through your camera and know that you've got like eight feet between you and whatever you're looking for. Yeah, it even warns you if you're like you know if you're about to hit something or like you're you're too close. So you know what? Yeah. It's fucking good. Um, so while returning, uh, the 11 year old exclaimed, "Look at that thing!" Um, seeing it kneeling down and eating something, and Doris, who I love by the way. Simply says, yeah, look at it, and just drove away. <laughs> fair. Completely fair response. Yeah. Um, when asked to describe the size, Doris noted it was too large to be a coyote and not large enough to be a bear. Um, important factors to recall going forward, because once again, this would put it square into wolf or adolescent bear categories, right? Yeah. Um, she was unwilling to call it a, a werewolf, but she felt confident saying it was a freak of nature, one of God's mistakes. You know, I, I think I, there's a lot of people who would describe themselves in such a fashion. I know a lot of people who would do so. Yeah. <laughs> Almost proudly, same. too. Yeah. Um, and coincidentally, because this is the liter- Brandon, this is literally the only case that I have the exact date for. Oh, wow. Okay. All of them, all the other ones, for whatever reason, Linda Gottfried didn't collect the correct date or the specific date. So what does that mean? It means I can't check the fucking moon phases. But yeah. you know what the fucking moon phase was on October 31st, 1991? What was it? Waning Crescent. Oh, damn. So it wasn't a werewolf. Couldn't have been. Unless um, and there's, there's a picture. And There's a picture of Doris and uh, some of my the earlier statements might be come into like stark contrast about certain things yeah yeah so uh we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more um so in the original article written by linda godfried containing is she the, in the uh, middle of, of the road? road i'm just looking at the uh the picture no, she's there. on the side all oh, right on the side she's on okay the side. that's that's like the shoulder probably. oh gotcha it looks like shoulder to me yeah so she's um She's standing on like, a, like a winter ro- uh, uh, road, not winter, but like the- it's. I'd I'd say like January ish. Yeah, or, like it's it's a field right? all the, that's all brown and there's snow on the ground, but it's not like accumulated snow. It's either there's yeah. been a dusting and it stayed, or the, it all melted. Honestly, this looks like it could come from like one of the like one of the many roads around here. Yeah, like, literally, it looks no different than a road in upstate New York to me. Yeah. Um, but I should also note that, like, it is important because uh, the reason I was, like, really super concerned that they didn't include her story in the original article is because she's a black woman. Oh, that's um, true. She's in the, the, and, the eight point whatever percent. Yeah, she's in the low percent. In, yeah. like, um, I also think that matters a lot because 
uh, when we get to it, like one of the things that Linda Godfrey says is, why would people lie about this? It ruined their lives. Um, the only person who said that their life was made a living hell by this is Doris. Yeah. Uh, which is really upsetting and indicative of some bad shit. So the- Because the next person had no problems whatsoever with their story. Yeah. See, see I, I had a red flag was when he said they called it the Christmas card town. And, and that comes up as a red flag for, I think, probably yeah. obvious reasons. And I'm sure that yeah. if you look at those cards, such as I am now, uh, they do capture the, the diversity you described. But also the inclusion <laughs> of someone that's not white in a news article about the Christmas card town. I can see what, like, I can see the mindset where they would want to, like, exclude that to, like, very, uh, 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 reduce the color palette of the Christmas cards. I, like, they think that that no. might tarnish, like, the vision of the town. So when I was first reading this and I found the article, because I forgot that she'd replaced their names in the article, yeah. in the ori- original one, she changed all the names, but whatever. Um, for, to protect the, like, in- innocent or whatever. Um, but then, like, people came in and, like, did interviews with them and just used their names anyways. Yeah. Um, because, like, really speaking, everyone in town knew who the people were. Yeah. Because, like, it's a small town, so, like, everyone fucking knows. There's no doubt in my mind that everyone knew. But, um, but still, I, when I read it the first time, I, like, I was like, what the fuck? I, I turned to Christina and I'm like, they just cut this woman completely out of the story, and her story is the reason everything happened. Because yeah. I, for a second, I thought that that's what happened, like, but I was wrong. Well, well, yeah, they're they're excluding the 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 uh, crux of the they're, they're removing the key the cornerstone for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is this is egregious. Um, but regardless, so kind of continuing back, um. The first article was written by uh, Linda Gottfried, and it can, it was the one that actually coined the Beast of Bray Road moniker. Um, and it was published on December, thir- uh, December 29th, 1991, in the local paper, The Week, which apparently is now defunct. Yeah. Um, there was another primary witness uh, interviewed in the original write-up with a similar story. Unfortunately, as I noted before, there's no date. And it was conducted a full two years after the incident, Brandon. Jeez, <laughs> two Which years is never yeah. a warning side. Never in a million years, especially not after somebody else already had something that they described. Yeah, um, huh. the book the books tries to say that like Doris heard it from a bus driver, um, like uh, Lori's the, the name of the person's Lori Andrazi. Um, yeah. the book tries to say that Doris had heard Lori's story from a bus driver, but like. There's a part of me that highly doubts that that interaction happened the way that it's written in the book um, for a lot of reasons, uh, including the fact that, like, I partially don't trust uh, Linda Gottfried's, like, reporting and investigative journalism skills. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole nother thing because of, like, some some of the things that she, like, digs down into and hammers on make mm-hmm. me really question, like, what she's doing. And yeah. because of a quote that she said that I have in here that is phenomenal. But um, anywho, so Lori Andrazi, who is Barbara in the original article, uh, was a 26-year-old mother who had been driving home on Bray Road sometime in the fall of 
1989. On the side of the road at about 1.30 a.m., according to the book, Lori saw a creature with its back to her kneeling on the ground. In addition to the ears on its head, Lori saw that the elbows were up and it appeared to be holding something that looked like roadkill in its long, clawed hands. Okay? So, um, while driving, she noted that the eyes appeared to glow, perhaps a reflection of her headlights, as she suggests. Um, the beast was also brownish-gray with a long nose, big teeth, and fangs. She estimated it was about five foot seven and 150 pounds, which, that's a, okay. that is a skinny-ass beast. Yeah. Um... See, in so as she drove, yeah, that's true. <laughs> as she drove by, the creature uh, was said to follow her with it, her gaze, follow her with its gaze, totally unfazed. Um, and there's a there's the initial like uh, picture that Linda Godfrey drew of the yeah. creature. I like there. this description because they actually mentioned that the eyes were like reflective rather than glowing. Well, well, that's like yeah. Um, weirdly though, uh, the Bray Road Beast, the movie, yeah. Um, Every scene that the Bray Road Beast is the Beast of Bray Road is in, it has uh-huh. red glowing eyes, which is baffling to me because I don't remember seeing in any of the stories anyone saying that it had red glowing eyes. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta you know uh, uh, zhuzh it up a little bit for TV. Yeah, I guess. Um, so the stu- the two stories do have some structural similarities, right? Uh, both seeing something that could be described as dog like, uh, and it was presumed to be humanoid and bipedal. Moreover, both sightings occurred on the same stretch of road around the same time of the year, right? Um, that being said, werewolves were squarely in the human consciousness at this point. Uh, the universal wolfman had been present for decades. Uh, an American werewolf in London in the Howling had been out for eight years. And moreover, the werewolf Opus, Teen Wolf, had card surfed its way to the hearts of millions by this point with a 1985 release date. Uh, as an aside, I was going to make a joke about the penis at the end of Teen Wolf. Uh-huh. Uh, turns out it's just a woman's panties, and it made me, like, feel so sad. Wait, and I got it's a not a real penis? Right. It's not a penis. It's just, like, a lady's panties. Like, there's a, the picture's right there, Brandon. Yeah. If you zoom in on it, it, it looks very much like a woman who just has, like, white underwear on. Hang on. I'm going to do my own independent uh, I- image searching. Brandon, oh, I, I swear, yeah. I looked into it. I looked into it. I was so, like, upset. No, you're right. Like, the penis one is a crop. Yep, it is. Oh. oh. I was super upset, because that was way... That was, like, that was like a very funny factoid to me, and I loved it. But, yeah. no, it wasn't... It wasn't true. That's lean. <sighs> yeah. It, it was it was a sad day for John when I when I found that out. Um, <laughs> so dicks aside, there is the possibility of either of these cases being an actual teen uh, dressed as a werewolf to freak someone out during the spooky season, right? Uh, because it's both taking place in fall, and like it has the same behavior that is not like like the sitting up one. Yeah. In both of those cases, that literally that could very easily just be a person who has like. A prop like a prop like roadkill that they're oh, pretending yeah. to eat. Yeah. Like that's super that's super duper real like possible. Yeah. Like very Halloween y. Cause like well, the thing I know about like rural areas is teenagers in those areas get fucking insane during Halloween. <laughs> yes. That is just a fact. Um there's that like I, I love that one uh 
that one SNL sketch about like the Hudson Valley where they're like they're talking about the teenagers at the the haunted like haunted hayride or whatever or haunted house who are like yep. Just a little bit too eager. And I was like, <laughs> "That's fuck. <laughs> fuck. I I know those people. Yeah. <laughs> I know the people responsible for that joke happening. <laughs> um, but, like, it, it's like a super duper real possibility at this point. In the yeah. Story. Like, there's there's nothing in my mind that, like, discounts it. Um, the, uh, actually, my neighbors directly across the street, their cousin yeah. is the Headless Horseman guy. Like, he owns it and operates he it. He owns it? Like, he's the guy that started that. <laughs> Interesting. You, you know what's weird to me? That's so far away from, uh, like, the place that the Headless Horseman story took place, actually. Yeah, I think it's just a fun name for, like, a haunted house and... and uh... Well, I, I think it's... Well, it's explicitly, like, referencing... Oh, it the... for sure is referencing Sleepy yeah. Hollow. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Um, cause like the other thing too is I, I think if I remember correctly, like I went to one of the, the daytime ones as a kid. Yeah. Um, and they totally just did the whole story of Ichabod Crane during it. If my memory is correct. Uh, like, oh, that might be for it, the kids was, ones though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For the kids one, they absolutely did that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they do that. I, I've never been to the nighttime ones. The nighttime ones are fun. Um, well, part of the reason I've never been to the nighttime ones is cause, uh, I just don't like people um getting close to me yeah well they give and, you safe words like if you don't want anyone to be come by you you literally just walk around just like repeating whatever the safe word is and they'll just leave see, you alone then i then my voice would get tired yeah because <laughs> like because like that is a thing that i have like issues with like oh fuck that reminds me talking about way too serious things uh, one time when I was a kid, I did go on a nighttime haunted hayride type thing. Yeah. Um, it was at a dude ranch in Kerhonkson. Uh, <laughs> once again, getting into the whole like random ass <laughs> things that nobody knows about. Um, so it was a dude ranch in Kerhonkson, which oh, if you no. don't know, if you don't know what a dude ranch is, it's basically like a bullshit ranch that rich people can go to. Both of those to words are actually red flags. Ranching. Those are both yes. red flags. Yes. It's it's a bougie ass. It was a bougie ass uh, dude ranch, if my memory is correct. Oh. Um. So, anywho, uh, there was like a haunted hayride thing happening, and like yeah. my family went, and the motherfuckers on this haunted hayride had fucking chainsaws. Oh, that's a thing. But but they had chainsaws without the chains, and not only that. But the like the backs on the hayride had like were open, so like people's backs were like exposed. Yeah, they ran down the hayride yeah, yeah, and yeah. just ran the chainsaws against people's backs. Yeah, which is just like, well, that that just like goes to prove the whole like they take this way too yeah. seriously. They, they did that on the, at the headless horseman one that I went to. Yeah, they like, just they just did they give okay. kids chainsaws and they're like yeah attack people. <laughs> And the next yeah, thing about no, the chainsaws, you can't scream loud enough for the safe word. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's explicitly it. Uh, which is never give a teenager that kind of power. Yeah, just as a rule, they 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 don't know what to do. Yeah. They do terrible things with that kind of power. Yeah. But there's also black lights and like 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 uh, 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 sideshow acts. Those are always fun. Watch a guy nail a nail oh. into his face. Oh, they had like geek acts. Yeah, like like you do the there's like there's a bunch of separate buildings. There's like the maze, the spooky hayride, the spooky mm. blacklight maze, 
the guy on a stage just doing like geek acts, like the human blockhead type stuff. That's all cool. that kind of fun stuff. And a bunch of different little shops playing like Metallica that you can go in. So part of the reason I didn't ever go to the Headless Horseman, and this is like a factoid for you. Yeah. Um, at the uh, at the Dutchess County Fair, you know how the Headless Horseman usually like had a booth? Yeah. Yeah, they jumped out and scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, and I've never wanted to go there because of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was young, and like, it was yeah. one of those things where like, it was one of those things where I was young enough that my fam, my, like, my parents were just like what the fuck are you doing yeah like this is not this is not okay this is a child that you've just like scared shitless yeah those were probably also just like teens that worked for them yeah no (laughs) no i know i mean the the problem there is like there was no consent in the scare yeah if you go to Headless Horseman, you are consenting to be scared. Yeah, you didn't have to wait in line and, like, give someone a ticket and go, hey, I want you to scare me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was just walking past your booth and you scared yeah. me. You just wanted funnel cake. Yeah, pretty much. Well, actually, for me, it would be more like I wanted a candy apple, which I do want a candied apple now. But No one ever... there. You always... The thing about candy apple is they never meet the expectations you had prior to eating the candy apple. No, that's not true for me. <laughs> I fucking love candied apples, man. Every time I have a candied apple, I'm super happy and pleased. I always get super stoked when I when I see one and I get to have one, but then when I go to eat it, I'm always disappointed. Dude, I love it when you get it down to like the point where like the the shell is like super thin and you bite yeah. into it and then you get the apple and the apple's a little sour more is more sour than the the candy bit. <laughs> so you get that like sweet sour hit. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Damn it! Now, now that I'm thinking about this, my my the whole episode's derailed. It's over. We're done. It's over. Yeah, no, no way. We're like not even halfway through the episode. <laughs> um, so bizarrely, uh, the 26 year old Lori Andrazi had never heard of werewolves. Apparently, weird. Because because it wasn't until two years later, after hearing Doris's encounter, that she realized it had the appearance of the werewolf. According to the original article. Or not the original article, the book. She consulted the Golden Book of Mystery, the Mysterious, which I couldn't find a full copy of, um, to find an image of the werewolf that matched her sighting. Although I did find a copy of the image of the werewolf, huh. um, which is right there. Yeah. So, conspicuously, this werewolf is just a hairy person with the head of a wolf, um, with apparent plantigrade locomotion. And for those of you who are not familiar with this distinction uh, between plantigrade and digitigrade, digitigrade. Uh, plantigrade is the locomotion style of the typical human, right? Um, meaning we walk on the soles of our feet, plant, right? Yeah. Uh, we share this characteristic with bears, rabbits, and a number of other creatures. All important factors, right? Because um, if we're talking about a bear, the plantigrade... If, if the thing is a bear, then a plantigrade-based, like, locomotion or pa- plantigrade-based, um, like, standing or bone yeah. structure would be totally within the bounds of reasonable and, like, possible. Um, additionally, like, if you see a dog from a far away, it could also have, uh, if its legs were flat, mm-hmm. um, it could look like it's plantigrade as well. Um, but regardless. In contrast, uh, digitigrade locomotion is characterized by walking on the pads of your feet. Typically, this is expressed by birds, cats, and dogs, right? Uh, so think about, like, a cat's back leg 
You know how there's like that little like nubbin at the back? Yeah. The dew yeah, claw. That's their that's like yeah, the the like way back up. That's yeah. like actually the like their heel almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um so there's also a third ca- cla- uh classification known as Unguligrade. Uh, which is creatures undulgrade. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, when the creature uses the tips of their toes while ambulating, which is basically horses and things yeah. along those lines. Um, naturally, different locomotion is suited to different leg shapes and bone structures, as well as whether or not some. So, like plantigrade locomotion is generally better for bipedal creatures, right? Yeah. Um, so that's just a thing. Um, this distinction is important, though, because to the best of my knowledge, digitate grade werewolves did not appear in popular media, and by popular media, I mean movies, until 1981, um, in which two digitigrade werewolf films came out. Okay. Uh, the Howling fantastic. and American Werewolf in London. Both fantastic movies. Yeah. So uh, m- most of the inca- uh, incarnations before that Typically use plantigrade werewolves, like the wolfman type thing. Yeah. Uh, probably because of cost reasons more than anything else. <laughs> Fair. Because, like, you have to make, a, like, a rig and all sorts of stuff. I, I, I've, I've looked at documents about how to do it. Um, I've, seen, I've seen many a furry who's done a plantigrade, uh, a digitigrade costume. And it, like, involves, it involves, like, stilts that are shaped weird and all sorts of yeah. stuff. It's tricky. It's some tricky shit. They make shit. high heels that do that, and it's weird. Really? Like, like shoot footwear design to make it look like you've got like, like deer feet. Well, that's like a that's that's a super. Yeah, I, I've seen that. That's like cosplay stuff too. I right? think it's. I think the, like, the ones I sell is just like a weird fashion week type <laughs> type thing. I, I mean, I can see it for, like, a costume, but, yeah. like, I would never wear something like that as, like, my everyday going out and walking about thing. No. So it seems very, very unenjoyable. Um, anywho, so returning to the Beast of Bray Road, Lori then took a trip to the animal control officer for Walworth County, Joe Fredrickson. Joe had been in the role for a number of years at this point. I think he started in 1986, if my memory of the Bray Road document is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bray Road documentary is correct. Um, doing the typical stuff an animal control officer would do, breaking up puppy mills, handling, handling animals in delicate situations, and just generally assisting with animal concerns, right? He was an animal control officer, right? So yeah. it, it's, it, it's, it's whatever you think of as like, you know, like a dog catcher or something like It's basically that. Yeah. Um, so, supposedly, though, when Lori had gone to John, uh, around the time of Doris' sighting, uh, based on my read of the events, I really can't tell when things happened, because, like, for whatever reason, there is not a really firm timeline of this. It's very muddy, which kind of goes back to my whole thing of, like, I don't really think of uh, yeah. her... Linda's not a great... is not great at, like unpacking the story in a way that's readable no or um, establishing like a timeline <laughs> yes because because a timeline here would matter a lot yeah right because if this is after doris that changes my thoughts on this sighting entirely because the second half of it is almost identical to doris's yeah 
if it's before Doris did the thing, then that also that changes my sight, my my thinking as well. But like, without having that data point, I can't really say anything one way or the other, right? Which is very frustrating to me. Um, so Lori shared with Joe that her suspicion uh, was that the the sighting was related to cult activity in the region. Oh, good, Elkhorn, known for their cults. Yeah, well, also, this is, like, 91-ish, so Satanic uh, Panic is very much still in effect. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in another Satanic Panic, but that's a whole other thing, but whatever. Um, so, after doing this, several books on the shelf in the office fell off the, the uh, like, fell off a shelf. Wow. Spooky. I could not have said that, I could not have said that worse. <laughs> <laughs> several books on a shelf in the office fell off as though they had been pushed. Mm-hmm. Right, um, the encourage the, the 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 occurrence brought the discussion to a close. But like, books falling off shelves is really not that like big of a deal, in my no. opinion. Like, shit happens. Yeah, just anywho. Yeah, just things happen. I set something like, on a counter yesterday, and it and it moved, fell off the counter. But where I would I was, I was like, oh, what was that? I was like, oh, it fell down. And it was something that wasn't like precarious. It just happened to, for whatever reason. Yeah, it, it should happen. It happens. Yeah. Um. So at some point during these sightings, John started a file um on the creatures, and he labeled it with the word werewolf. Now, once again, I want to point out details super foggy. I have no fucking idea when this dude made this document or this this Manila fo- folder. Yeah. Right. Um. None of the media that I could find outlined specifically when the file was created, uh, but based on Linda Godfrey's own timeline of events, uh, no sightings are reported from uh, the bounds of 1986 to 1989, which is the start of uh, of Joe's career to 1989, which is when Dor- when uh, Lori's event happened. Yeah. So we can maybe assume that there was nothing that happened in that time period, but I like also don't know if we can assume that because. I don't have the data because for whatever reason, Linda didn't <laughs> gather that data um, or she did. And she deliberately withheld it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's no reason for uh, the file to exist in that time period because there was no reporting and there was no like rumors around it. Right. So like, yeah. why would he call it a werewolf? Right. So whatever. Um, I think that it started after Doris's sighting. But I could be wrong. So. Huh. Um, regardless, John did this very tongue-in-cheekly, right? Yeah. Uh, he did not believe that this was a paranormal entity. He honestly thought that it was a misinterpreted coyote that had been, like, just jumping weird or, yeah. like, rearing up on its hind legs. Which coyotes and, and uh, dogs actually do. They do rear up. A, there is a There is a behavior in which they rear up on their hind legs is like an intimidation tactic. And it's adorable. Usually when I see it in dogs, they're like, they're like asking for food. Yeah. They're asking for food or like doing a cool little yeah. trick that they were trained to do. They'll do that. Then give you a high my five. Sis- my sister got a Corgi and it's adorable. That's all <laughs> I have to say. Fair. Um, so at this point, Linda Godfrey finally enters the story in full, right? Uh, she was tipped off by a local freelance reporter who also happened to be a bus driver, which that makes sense. People have multiple jobs. Um, who uh, let her know that the rumor mill was churning about this werewolf thing. 
Uh, Linda Gottfried it was a reporter and cartoonist who had been working at the lo free local paper called The Week that serviced Walworth County. I should also note her, her original goal was to become a cartoonist. Uh, she like syndicated some of her cartoons yeah. in uh, The Week, uh, but she only got paid like syndication costs for them. So she was like getting paid eight bucks for a cartoon, <laughs> huh. which is sad and upsetting. Yeah. Um, so uh, visiting John to get more details on the rumors, in part, uh, suspected the whole thing to be related to like cult activity, cult activity right? Yeah. Once again, um, I this is a bad sentence that I wrote, but anywho, because uh, that was what the original freelancer expected. It was like yeah. a cult or satanic in some way, right? Uh, because you know, you you've seen the documentary that is Stranger Things, so like, that's it. Yeah, um, it was all Venka. Yeah, Vecna. Vecna, sorry. Um. Uh. So she was excited, however, by the presence of the werewolf fo folder. Oh. Uh, which at this time, Brandon and I, I love, I love how accurate this is. At which this time, uh, she said it had six or seven note cards. In which a which detailed the uh, event in which a creature had been sighted. <sighs> with the her again with the specifics, it just she's kills me. She's very good at them. She's so good at them. She's very good at them. She's very good at them. Um, in addition to Doris and Laurie's testimonies, there was also unexplained tracks, a deer being chased by a pointy-eared creature on two legs, and another sighting of a man-like creature running extremely fast, made by a Burger King employee. Which I can only assume it was the Burger King, and he had the shits. <laughs> Fair. Did you ever play that game, Sneaking? It was fun. Yeah, it was fucking great. Sneaking's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the pocket bike racer was amazing. Uh, and what was the third one? Like Bumper King, I think. I that don't one recall. As good. I don't but know. But I, I loved Sneaking. I loved the pocket right rate bike racer one. Uh, was actually like. A very fun game. Fast food companies. Like it was one of the better racing games. It was like they need to make more fast food video games again. Those were the days. Yeah, so for those of you who weren't alive or weren't cognizant at that time, um, when when uh, Burger King was doing a weird promotion with this like really creepy Burger King, right? Um, basically, think plastic face mask with uh, like a human body. It was really strange. It was... Uh, uh, and the face mask had, like, a strange, like, smile or whatever. Yeah, it was great. It came out yeah, it was, circa 2006. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much your basic... Your basic to aughts advertising campaign. Yeah. Um. So, what happened was they released three games that you could purchase from Burger King for, like, I think five bucks. Um, and the three of them were Sneak King... Big Bumpin' and Pocket Bike Racer. Big Bumpin'. Sneak King was a game in which Big Bumpin', it was not, Big Bumpin' was the weakest of the three, in my opinion. Um, it was like a bumper car game. Uh, sneak King was a stealth game in which you had to, like, sneak up on people and, like, do the thing that Bur the Burger King did in the, the commercials, which was, like, just scare the shit out of people. Yeah. It was great. And, like, offer them food. It, it was amazing. Um, and then, uh, uh, the the like racing game uh pocket bike racer it was just a fun like it was a fun racing game that's yeah. all it was and it just had it happened to have like characters associated with burger king that's it um but this is way before that time 
So uh, Linda then began to investigate leads at this point, trying to pin down the elusive creature, resulting in two t- the two testimonies given above. Frustratingly, Linda did not take pictures of the scratches. However, she claims to have seen them and that they appear to be two claws with three fingers raking the rear of the trunk. Huh. Um, which is incredibly annoying to me. I have no idea why she wouldn't have taken the picture, but whatever. Um, before publishing her findings in the article, there was one more sighting that Linda had gathered, this time from a 13-year-old girl, Heather Bowie, and her mother, Karen. While sledding near a creek, Heather had seen a large dog just before dusk as they returned home. This dog, however, would have been uh, would astound the then 12-year-old girl, meaning this happened a year prior. Yeah. Um, and it would rear up on its hind legs, standing. It had silver-colored fur with flecks of brown, and the hind legs shaped differently than those of a dog or a coyote. Heather would say that it looked as though it could jump with the feet, which may suggest that the legs she saw were plantigrade, uh, but I'm not entirely sure because it wasn't like super elaborated on. Um, the creature stared down Heather, which is a super common behavior for coyotes and wolves and yeah. dogs in general, um, and then began chasing them on all fours. Like a dog would, but with bigger <laughs> leaps. About halfway back home, the creature turned around and entered a nearby cornfield. Um, and I'm not going to cover every story here. Yeah. Uh, because it's super samey. But I want to note that there were unconfirmed reports of a wolf being near Bray Road about 10 to 15 miles away in December of 1991. Oh, good. Which is important because a wolf could very easily explain Doris's sighting, at least. Yeah, and wolves also, um, they're fucking big. That's the thing, right? Um, people don't remember how big wolves are. Wolves aren't just dogs, but in the woods. Yeah, they're, like, <laughs> massive. Yeah. <laughs> when they stand on their hind legs, they are taller than you. <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, um, that that definitely seems like it it would more easily explain what uh, that was. Honestly, I think that factors into a fuck ton of these sightings, but um, whatever. Because uh, like it's even though they're not like super indigenous to the region and endemic at this time, there is still a population of wolves in Wisconsin. Yeah. So it is possible that like a wolf made its way down to um down southeast and also like people own pets of wild animals that they shouldn't own all the time if we've if we've learned anything from joe exotic there's a fuckload of people out there who have just like the most insane animals in their possession for no fucking good reason does that tie Um, into all that i'll hold this question back for for a later time okay um so at this point, Linda Godfrey had published her story, complete with the drawing of the werewolf-like creature, um, in a full moon. Once again, like kind of reinforcing this notion that it's a werewolf, right? So, honestly, the perception that it's a werewolf, very much on her, because she put yeah. a lot of effort into pointing out, like, to, to linking it to werewolves. The fact that she drew a full moon and drew it like like a werewolf means that she is inextricably tied to the perception of this creature as a werewolf. Yeah. Um, while it was ori- originally released in the small local paper of the week, another nearby paper that serviced an area, a city of about 50,000, published a summary of the initial report, which eventually hit the Associated Press uh, wire, which is fucking hilarious, but also that happens all the time for these, like, weird-ass stories, because, like, 
A, it's kind of interesting. We're going to publish this. Yeah. And it's going to end up in the wire, and then it's going to spread, right? Um, what ensued uh, was what Linda more or less describes as a media blitz. Uh, but to me, it doesn't really seem that exceptional, uh, like, compared to other local cryptid stories that we've covered on this this podcast. Like, yeah. really not that much different uh, than a lot of them. Like, she was like, we thought it would die down. But it didn't. And it's like, she's talking about like one thing a month maybe yeah. happening, like in terms of like people talking about it or coming to visit, which is not, is not it not dying down. That's just meaning that like the initial fervor is over and now people are just accidentally happening upon this story and they're like, I wonder what's going on. Yeah. It, it's, it's more of yeah. a smoldering. And it's, it's fucking 91 too. Yeah. So there's like not an internet to speak of. So like, whatever. Um, so in the Beast of Bray Road telling Wisconsin's werewolf telling, uh, Linda goes into extreme detail about her dealings with the media, recounting even the fact that she wrote a fucking terrible (laughs) screenplay that involved, like, Satanism. Oh, good. Uh, which, thank Christ it never happened. Um... But it, it, she, like, like padded out the incredibly lean story to do it. I'm yeah. not going to cover this part of the saga because um, it, it's just nonsense. Mm. Uh, but there's a super interesting inter- interaction, which tells you a lot about Linda. Um, which uh, I, I she alleges it happened, and I kind of believe it happened. because. But even if it didn't happen, this is a very clear indicator of the type of person that Linda Godfrey is. Yeah. Um, a Milwaukee news anchor questioned Linda if she thought that what she was doing was responsible journalism. Um, to which she replied, well, you're here covering it, aren't you? Uh. And as an aside, uh, very weird way to write that assen- that sentence. Because the way she wrote it was, uh, well, you are here covering it aren't you yeah it was a fucking like she used no contraction and then a contraction which is very strange but like whatever nothing um but this whole exchange to me is fucking hilarious right because i think linda thinks this is a sick bird oh you know she thought the way she describes it like she thinks it's a super sick bird but really it doesn't burn him if anything it's just like points out points to the fact that her work is not responsible journalism no if other journalists are publishing content questioning whether or not it's response that that, uh. to be fair the the anchor didn't publish this it was like an exchange between the two oh but still um to say that like oh you're covering it aren't you yeah and you know like jerry springer is like legitimate you know journalism too in legitimate therapy Right? In the same way that your fucking story is legitimate journalism. Yeah. But whatever. So, like, um, she then also defends that it was legitimate journalism, right? Like, she goes out of her way to defend this in the book. Um, because a county contracted official kept a folder marked werewolf. Wow, I am speaking poorly today. Um, as though that, like, means anything, yeah. right? So, like, like a dude just wrote werewolf on a manila folder. That doesn't mean anything. That means a dude was having fun with his job. Yeah. A job that involved him having to break up puppy mills on the regular, so I assume it was super depressing. <laughs> right? So, like, whatever. That, 
I in my opinion, have folders. Well, I've got file cabinets, and I've got a cabinet with a label on it called Top Secret. And below that, I have a, a cabinet in which I've it labeled Bottom Secret. That, that, <laughs> like, the, the existence of that lower doesn't explicitly, like, create a whole, like, no. classification of, like, document that, like, people aren't aware of. No. No, it doesn't. Like, people it have doesn't. fun it, labeling things. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean fucking anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I honestly don't think it was... I don't think it was responsible journalism in the slightest. Yeah. Right? Um, I've included a link to the original article in the show notes. So give it a read and let me know if you think it's responsible journalism. But I really don't think it's responsible journalism. It's incredibly luridly written. Um, so at this point, additional stories begin to enter the mythology. Um, closeness to the original event was all over the place, and the attributes of the beast varied wildly, with some indicating that the beast was human-sized, and others saying that its head went above corn socks. Huh. Um, personally, I believe that almost, to my, to my, in my opinion, almost every single story after the initial article is people latching onto a popular trend right yeah that, that um, makes sense i don't give credence to it uh there's two i do want to highlight because lida highlights them extensively in her book um but but like also i want to point out again the whole argument they don't gain anything from this Lori said i didn't have any negative impact from telling my story Doris is the only person who said that she had a negative impact from telling her story. And the fact that she's a black woman kind of speaks to the the the, the type of town we're dealing with. Yeah. I feel like. Um so uh the first story of these two that I want to tell pushes the original setting back to nineteen thirty six on most rundowns of the beast, uh, which was made by night watchman Mark Shackleman by way of his son Joe. And when I say that, I mean Mark Shackleman, I believe, was dead by the time that uh, oh, gotcha. Linda aggregated the story because she learned about it from Joe. Uh, in the account, Mark was patrolling the grounds of St. Coletta, a Catholic covenant known for being the place where post-lobotomy Rosemary Catania was kept, <laughs> which is a <laughs> fucked up story. Um, and also, in the book, she uses a, uh, she uses a slur to describe uh, Rosemary Kennedy. Oh, good. Um, like a like a slur in the the sense of like you know uh, about mental health. Yeah, I think you can probably guess the one that that she used. Yeah. Um. Uh, which I also want to point out, this book was originally written in 2002, <laughs> and the imprint for this book I think was like 2012 or something like that or 2017. Yeah. So this has been edited, right? Since then, I want to point that out. <laughs> You you don't you don't get a pass on that. Some things just don't make it to the cutting room floor. I don't know. Yeah, you you, you don't get a pass on that. The number of times that we fucking cut content from this podcast <laughs> just because we accidentally misspoke or said something that we didn't even like in that could be interpreted in a way we didn't want it to. Yeah. Like, like I, I, it baffles me that somebody would do that. But regardless, I'm not her. Um. While, while Mark was patrolling the grounds, uh, he happened upon a strange sight atop one of the Native American burial mounds that was in the area, because apparently the area has a bunch of Native American burial mounds. Well, um, that, which is also, that has to do with the 91% population. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, there's also a lot of... St like, that, that raises so many questions for me, too, in terms of, like... This, this area is probably, like, a fucking ethical nightmare 
in terms of this type of stuff. But yeah. I mean that again, so is most of America, but whatever. Um, so when he reaches there, there's an upright being, which appeared to be clawing on the ground. Uh, and as the night watchman approached, it ran away, right? Okay. The next night, returning to the mound, Mark found the beast there yet again. However, this time it stood up and faced him. It had a foul smell like dead meat, um, and it stood six feet tall. The creature was covered in dark or black hair. Uh, once again, the creature had a plantigrade feet, long fingers, and a wolf-like head. And if Joe Shackleman's picture is uh, accurate and it was drawn based on his uh, father's description, it's got a damn fine ass. It, it's got Look at it's, that bubble butt. It's got itself a Look booty. at that bubble butt. <laughs> it's got a bubble butt. That's that all I'm going to say. This, this fucking thing's got, got some... It, it's packing something. I mean, relative to the whole body, it's pretty small, but it's bubble butt. It does. I mean, it, it's got bubble. It's if it was a Pokemon, one of its four tanks would be Clip, and uh, doesn't use his hands. We'll say no, that. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> is Clap a is Clap an actual move in Pokemon? I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Are we gonna solve this this right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking it up in the move decks. Oh. Uh, Sveal is called the the clap Pokemon. Oh, uh, it could use Thunderclap, which is a move. Oh, true. Um, Thunderclap that ass. Thunderclap is a move. It's got an ass that could eat a corn dog. I'll say that, that right there. <laughs> Don't take it to the fair. <laughs> Wait, introduce in Generation XV. What? It's not. It there's not a 15th generation of Pokemon. <laughs> I mean, eventually. There haven't been that many. Eventually. Yeah, eventually. There's probably I mean, already enough happen, but... to to be that many. No, like 15 generation. Like, uh, the generations are very... Oh, wait. Is Thunderclap not real? Because these are fake Pokemon. <laughs> I think Thunderclap's not a real move. Okay. Anywho. Um, so, looking Mark dead in the eyes, the creature then uttered a low three-syllable growl. Gadara. Um, Mark apparently huh. said a private prayer to himself, at which point the creature disappeared, walking away, presumably, if he's to be believed. Straight back to hell. Oh, on account um, of the prayer. So he thinks, yeah, he thinks it came from hell and that it went back to hell after he did the prayer. I don't know. Um, Linda then tends a lot of time drawing parallels between the beast and psychopomps such as the hell bees, hellhounds. Um, highlighting the status of the location as a burial site. Uh, she also references a Norse saga called The Road to Hell, spelt in the Norse way, H-E-L, um, which obviously refers to, like, like, it refers to, like, the notion of dogs as being psychopomps, which I think we've talked about before on this podcast, particularly yeah. with the Black Shuck, yep. right, which was all the way back in episode six. Um, was dogs the Black have for a Shuck very long, that time. long ago? Yes, it was. It was oh, the sixth wow. episode okay. we did. It was the sixth episode we did. Um, but, yeah, no, like, like that's a super common thing in a lot of folklore. Um, I think part of it is because of, like, the fact that dogs are kind of, like, this defend have this defender quality while also being carnivores and scavengers, yeah. you know? Like, I think there's a lot there um, that's just, like, a part of human history that, like, you can p draw to point to, but whatever. Um, now, I do want to take an aside, though. Because she threw a sick at the end of the name of the saga, which is yeah. The Road to Hell. 
Um, because I'm pretty sure she thought hell was spelt incorrectly. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. The, that, you know, with her like, attention to detail so far, I'd, I'd say that that checks out. I think I think she thought hell was spelt wrong, which is just just like a, a chef's kiss of like, what the fuck are you doing, Linda Gottfried? Yeah. Um, and also helps f- helps support my my coming hypothesis. Um, she also made a lot of hay out of the fact that it said Gadara. Because uh, she linked it to the biblical Gadara, um, and Linda, huh. who is a self-admitted Lutheran, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, she notes that Gadara was uh, near the location in Judea where Jesus performed the exorcism of Legion. Which, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's like the—I think it's like the only exorcism that happens in the the uh, the Gospels, where Jesus, there's a dude who's possessed by a demon. They say, we are legion, blah, 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 blah. We are many, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, and he exercises them into a group of pigs, which is like, I still feel bad for the pigs, personally. But all the pigs um, were wearing but... Guy Fox masks. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but they all drown themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, it's weird. Pigs can't um, swim. Yeah. That's not true. I've seen pigs swim. <laughs> then explain I've the drowning I've seen Pop pigs swim. <laughs> they, huh? He turned them all into pigs with lead hooves. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. My dwarf smells burnt it's, toast. It's a fucking, it's a fucking metaphor. Uh, it's, that's that's yeah. the, the New Testament is a metaphor. Don't take it literally. John. Like. <laughs> the dwarf smelling dirt, dwarf. Burnt toast is a literal thing. Though. That, that is happened. a literal thing. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> that's not. I feel like it's not a metaphor. A quarter of your episodes could just be summed up as the New Testament shouldn't be taken literally. Yeah. <laughs> like a solid I mean, quarter. almost. Honestly, almost all of my episodes could be don't take mythology literally. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. And you know what? We're going to get into that in a lot more detail in a second here. Oh, good. Um, but Linda does this really reckless thing that I would say is not responsible journalism and uh, implies that the creature was a demon. Oh, good. Tying the Beast of Bray Row to satanic panic bullshit. Um, ultimately, I doubt this story significantly because not only is it secondhand, it's secondhand over many years because... Uh, well, it's, Mark Shackle. It's secondhand over many years from a, a telling supposedly told to somebody else by a now dead guy. Exactly. We're getting this <laughs> third hand at this point. Yeah. Right. Um. And not only that, but like Mark Shackleman supposedly didn't even tell his son until like the fifties, yeah. right, or sixties, and then he didn't tell anyone until fucking until fucking ninety one. So it's like. Like a story how are of we, telephone how are we, played over a large number of years where OP is a ghost. Like a century, yeah. almost. Like 60 years. We're talking about 60 years. Um, So, I personally don't expect accept, accept this into the Beast of Bray Road canon, personally. Um, I think Linda does, but I don't really care. <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't think anyone prior to Lori's sighting is like, reliably someone you can consider in the canon. Yeah. Um, and I even doubt Lori's 
uh, story in the first place, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so at this point, we're brought to the story of Tom Brichta, who is arguably the only witness with any form of physical evidence. Oh, good. Yes, and that's a fucking stretch. So the 17-year-old Tom had been returning from a wedding reception with his friend Chris Maxwell sometime in August 1992. So once again, just so you know, in the 90s, if you're 17 and you're at a wedding, they're driving back hammered. Oh, yeah, 100%. (laughs) That's Um, how that works. Yeah, no, no. He says that he wasn't drunk, but he was absolutely. Oh, does there's he no doubt say- in my mind. He does. <laughs> he does say he wasn't drunk. I, I do not believe that for a fucking yeah, second. That's in the era where you get pulled over, intoxicated, and they're like, just go straight home. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That's in the era of like, we're still not completely sure that alcoholism is a disease or a thing. Yeah. They're like, listen, this is your first strike. On three, we're going to tell your parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just too white. <laughs> um, so there was a thick fog that covered the road and obscured the driver's Tom's vision. Um, while driving down Highway 106, he saw what appeared to be an enormous hand reaching towards the car, which I have, like, to me, I have no idea what the fuck that means. Right? Like, I don't... Like, it wasn't, like, like, it wasn't King Kong's hand reaching out towards them. How big was this fucking hand? Right? Yeah, but also if it's reaching... That means it's... I imagine what he, he omitted is that there is something pacing the car. Like, something is moving at the same speed as the car and had to, to reach someone, towards it. Someone s- does say that, but I think in this particular case, it was standing still on the road. Oh, the car sure. was standing still. This, or no, no. The, the, the thing was standing still and okay. it was like as the... Like, it took as a swipe as it drove the, past, almost. Yes, okay. I think... I, I don't... Dude, I don't know. It's very... <laughs> the way everyone tells their stories is fucking nonsense, and I can't get a good image of it. And, yeah. like, Linda doesn't help. Because, like, for... Like, dead ass. this story starts with the story of the mother who says that he hit a fucking mailbox. And when yeah. he backed up, it was actually, a, a like, the, the creature. And that's how he got a scratch on his car. Um, but, like then he tells a totally fucking different story. And for whatever reason, Linda leads with not his version of the story, which while I was writing this, like, cause I had already read the book. Yeah. I was writing this and I was referring to this and I'm like, this is super confusing. Why is this so confusing? And I like skipped ahead a page and I'm like, Oh, that's right. Because she's a fucking insane writer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, he swerved to avoid the hand and slowed down, uh-huh. noting that it was large uh, because he saw a creature that had its lower chest or belly level with the top of his car. What kind of Brandon, car was it? I'm assu- It was a sedan based on the video that I saw. Um, but like, what? like, let me, let me, let me pull the video up real quick. Once it's not freakishly um, tall. Like, it's not freakishly tall, but like, it's still pretty tall. I've right? got a like, cousin that's six seven. I bet. I bet that's like on my old Corolla. I, I would believe that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, it's it's still not five. It's nowhere near the same height as the ones that Lori and Doris were talking about. No, though. it's not the the five seven one fifty. No, you know, there's no chance that it's five seven. Honestly, at that point, right? it sounds like, like a, it's a werewolf that's like vegan. <laughs> <laughs> like it's running F5, through the woods, yeah. trying to get like grape nuts. <laughs> well, 
so the other thing, the thing with that is like, um, the thing with that is that becomes like a, uh, um, like a, a an excuse for why this is plausible to to Linda, um, but like, it's whatever. I, I sent you a link that has gotcha. a picture of the car. It's it's not a huge car, but like it's also it's a sedan. It's a four door. It looks like it might be a four door, maybe a two door. I'm not sure. I don't have a full view of it. This is like yeah, secondhand. Oh, it's one of um, it's one of those. Oh, yeah, that yeah. It's, that's it's definitely that's the most '90s haircut ever. Oh, and that windbreaker. Oh, yeah, that windbreaker. Yeah, the wind, the windbreaker is pretty exceptional. It's like a blue and purple, I think. Um, so, Tom describes the creature as having whitish gray hair with black streaks, which once again want to point out yet another color. Um, due to its prodigious size, this creature, um, and he couldn't see the face at this time. Yeah. Uh, but it did have large legs. And arms that were oddly shaped, either terminating with pointed fingers or having long nails. The creature was able to scratch the pinstriping off his car, which is captured in the video report that I showed you. Um, yeah. However, Linda notes that Brickta said that uh, additional wear was present that had damaged the pinstriping more after this event had happened, meaning oh, good. that's fucking useless evidence. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. That's all yeah. for the days so, when just bad pinstriping was a thing. Yeah. Just late 80s. I, it was just a thing. Like, every car had it. Yeah. Um, so, it came, Tom came with has a pinstripe and a free windbreaker. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's what happened when you bought your car for, mm -hmm. like, five grand or something stupid. Next to your, like, $10,000 house. <laughs> <laughs> it came free. Um, so... Tom has the distinction of being the only person to see the creature twice on different nights. Okay. Um, which I note because for some reason, Linda says he's the only person who encountered the creature twice, despite the fact that Doris literally says that she saw the creature twice. Oh, does she? She does. Doris says she saw it going there and coming back, which oh, is two separate yeah. sightings. But Linda says that he's the only person who saw the creature twice. And I think what she means is different nights, but like weird way of saying that. Yeah. Um, so on the second sighting in October of that year, he was traveling down the highway, the same highway with a friend, Scott Freeman. Um, both saw a creature walking upright along the cornfields, 20 feet along the road. The head and upper shoulders were apparently higher than the cornstalks, which stood six feet at the time. So this is a fucking pretty tall ass. It's a tall boy. Creature. It is Wheaties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this time, the creature had dark, shaggy hair, which, once again, yet another hair color. Every time the creature is mentioned, it has a different hair color. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but it has been different. It goes to the um, salon a lot. It does. It has, it, it like, its hair is fucking fried, though, because of how much it dies. Um, so Tom was, however, able to see the legs in full this time, noting that they looked like those of a dog muscular and very large allegedly when the creature noticed them it looked at the pair and snickered like it was challenging them and i'm imagining like snidely whiplash's dog like the <laughs> i picture snidely whiplash but also it's also got like that juicy butt so it's like it's 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 gonna challenge them to like or 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 it's gonna challenge them to a it's gonna off. kill them by like sarah de bunda 
And that's just going to be... <laughs> I'm so happy you got that. <laughs> like, that's its form of attack. It doesn't use its teeth. It uses that ass. It just uses that ass. <laughs> yeah. So, as quickly as they seen the creature was gone, turning into the cornfield and stepping over something along the way. The pair didn't think that they saw a tail on the creature, which is kind of important, but like also not important at all. Um... A film crew interested in making a film about the creature got wind of the sighting, and along with Tom, Scott, and Linda, they visited the site. However, beyond a circular matted area of the corn, there was no evidence to be found, um, which is like, could be literally fucking anything. Shit nests in corn all yeah, the time. Yeah, anything can nest. A deer yeah. could have get, um, given birth. Like, it, it, it could have been anything. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, Linda notes that this is the most detailed description of an event with the creature, um, it, which I kind of don't agree with because it's, like, no more detailed than, like, half of the other events. Yeah. Um, but I also have my doubts about this. So, first, his description of the first encounter is fucking baffling and confusing as shit. I have no idea what he's trying to say with it, right? Yeah. Um, because, like... He let the cops know that he had seen a bear on the road. He told his mother that he hit a, co a mailbox. Like, since then, his story's been consistent. But, like, the initial, like, story that he told was so confused that, like, it's one of those things where, like, he's now at, it, it, at this point, he's now gone through multiple iterations of the story. So it's changed, like, what actually happened in his mind at this yeah. point. Because that's just how the human brain works. Right? Um, if you tell it, if you tell a story different times every time, you're going to change your like perception of actual events, and you don't actually remember what actually happened yeah. anymore. Even if you tell a story um, the same time every time, you're gonna the, the errors yes. are gonna start to compile. <laughs> that is literally how yeah. human memory works. Um, so regardless, the second factor that makes me think he's full of shit is the way that he told the story in Linda's verbatim account. Um, after the no the creature, noting that the creature appeared to be sneering at him, he launches into a non sequitur at about listening to the Geraldo show, which I don't know if that's like a music show or something else. Um, I thought it was like Geraldo Rivera at first, yeah. but then I looked into it and I don't think he had a show at that time um, on on radio. He had a he had like a television show, um, but like immediately after that, he returns to describing the creature's appearance. So like. In the middle of a sentence, he just talks about the fact that he was listening to Geraldo's show, which to me screams, I'm going to tell a truth in the middle of all of these lies. There was a show called Geraldo from 1987 to 1998 that was hosted by Geraldo Rivera. I thought that was a talk show, though. Uh, oh, it is a talk like show. on TV. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, so, I could be wrong, though. Um. But like I said, this this is this is totally like somebody telling a truth to ground a story that is total bullshit. Yeah. Because they threw it in the middle of describing the appearance of the creature. Why they didn't say it before or after, I don't know. Why they even said it, I don't know. Because it's totally unnecessary to the content of the story, right? Yeah. Like it, it it's a total non sequitur. But I believe that that's actually a thing that happened. That they were listening to a radio station. And on that station, there was the Geraldo show. Totally believe that was a fucking thing, right? But, like, the fact that he just throws it in makes me question his, like, whole his whole deal. Um, but to me, however, the real standout 
is that Tom highlights this creature as having digit-grade locomotion, um, despite the fact that it is literally never mentioned ever in the previous tellings, yeah. right? Um, and in the in the original stories, it kind of indicates the exact opposite is true, right? So, um, also, he's a teenage boy, right? Now, Brandon. Yes. I don't know if you remember... Uh, the Howling or American Werewolf in London terribly well. Not in any great um, detail. But there's there's some sexy scenes in those movies. Yeah. There's some there's some there's some there's some Jennies on display. Indeed. Um because they're horror movies from the eighties and nineties, which is pretty much it's like, a requirement. Yeah, you're gonna see yeah. it's a requirement. There has to be a nudity, there has to be a sex scene. Um I mean fucking Return to the Living Dead, like, halfway through the movie, the one character takes her top off and never puts it back on. Yeah, like, it, it, it was a requirement Which, that when a when young young boys going through puberty saw these, you forever instilled weird kinks into them. It, like, mm-hmm, you had mm-hmm. to do it. So, I kind of super believe that he had seen these movies as a result. Because, like, teenage boy, 90s, no internet, you're gonna get your hands on any porn you can get your hands on. Oh, yeah. And, like, this is easy stuff, because it's, like, you, at 16, you can see an R-rated movie. Yeah. So, like... Go there, watch yeah, it. Fuck yeah, like, I'm gonna go... burn it into your memory. I'm gonna... I'm gonna go rent... Well, this is also when VHS tapes oh, exist. Oh, rental so was So, I'm a gonna thing. just go rent... Yeah. I'm gonna go fucking Gosh. rent The Howling and American Werewolf in London, London and watch that, and just, like, ruin that part of the just tape. Just re- re- um, record only the scenes I want, and just make yep. some weird compilation out of horror movies. Oh, man. I had... I had... I had VHS tapes that just had weird shit on them. I think everyone had VHS tapes that just had weird shit on them. Like, I had one VHS tape that was always in my my TV, just in case. <laughs> just cause, like, just to, like, this as a, in case to record something? Yeah. <laughs> Fair. And there's always, like, that's, that's a f- someone's older brother, whatever you went over to their house, would always be like, Yo, you want to see something? And they always had like a box of VHS tapes. And he'd just be like, check this out. And he'd watch it and he'd be like, I feel weird watching this with you in the room. <laughs> yeah. I think I vaguely remember Steve putting porn on once and being like, this is strange. Entirely possible. Probable, I would say. Yeah. Um. Anywho, so... Uh, now, that being said, Doris could have totally seen these things, too. All these other people could have totally seen these things, right? Um, but, like, I'm just... This is me making a broad assumption on the basis of, like, this individual's gender, the time period, where we're dealing with, the type of town we're dealing with. Because, like, also keep in mind, this is a very conservative town, right? Yeah. So, like... In the Midwest? He's gonna get... No. Yeah. <laughs> Midwest, the Midwest loves their porn though. Like they, they fucking do. love it, and it's it's the weird shit that they love. Um, but my suspicion is that either a Tom unwittingly incorporated his exposure to digit-degrade werewolves, um, which is a relative rarity in cinema at this time, into his story, um, assuming he was telling it in earnest. Or in the less charitable sense, I think uh, he lifted the design wholesale and si- the design and size because the werewolf in American Werewolf in London and the werewolves in the Howling are fucking huge. Yeah, right. Um, so I think he might have just lifted them wholesale from the films. The sickest transformation um, scenes from any movie. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, 
but before I want to leave sightings of the creature, because this is pretty much it for sightings of the creature at this point, um, that I care to talk about. Uh, there is one that is my absolute personal favorite okay. in the book. It happened in 1998, and it was Jessica Anderson who had been resting in, at her in-law's home in Williams Bay after having her youngest child. On the day of her sighting, she took pain meds from a recent surgery, oh, claiming they weren't yeah. strong enough to cause solutions. But hallucinations. But Brandon, this is fucking 1998. You better believe there were some fucking opioids in that mix. Tom, I got those for my wisdom teeth. There were opioids yeah. in that mix. <laughs> There's 100% opioids in that. Yeah. Like, zero doubt in my mind. Um, regardless, while lying in bed, uh, in a bed on the lower level of the home, she heard a scratching sound at the window where she saw a wolf-like face with large fangs pressed against the <laughs> against the glass as if it were trying to get in. Brandon, this sounds like a fucking prank to me. That... Because she didn't see anything <laughs> other than the face and claws. It's just kids like, well, mommy's taking her pain meds. Let's go fuck with her. Let's fuck with her. Pretty much. That's what I think happened, but... I, I think that's hilarious, personally. I don't. You crowned me. I'm gonna make you hallucinate a werewolf. <laughs> you're gonna fucking tell everyone about this, and you're gonna think you're telling that you think you're gonna be talking about a real thing, but no. <laughs> so, Brandon, the question then it needs to be asked: What is this, right? Um, and honestly, I think this one's really fucking easy, right? Um, most, if not all, of the cases described could very, very easily be explained by the, mis the misidentification of a coyote, a wolf, or a bear, right? All three are, have been seen in the region, um, although the coyote is the only one that's endemic to the list. Uh, Doris could very easily have been chased by a bear or a juvenile, a juvenile bear or a wolf, right? Okay. Um, which are both, like, between a coyote and a bear, which is, like, the, the frame of reference that she gave. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and in her pure adrenaline, she saw it wrong. Right? Like, I fully believe that that's a total possibility for her. Yeah. Additionally, she could have also separately seen a dude on the side of the road being a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Because it's Halloween in rural America. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyone can do anything with a costume and a few drinks in them. Yes. Uh, Lori's sighting, likewise, could have been just an animal being a weird dude or a weird dude being a weird dude, right? Yeah. Um, admittedly, we'll have no fucking clue what either of these people saw in either case. But, like, let's be real. A displaced animal or prankster, way, way easier, like, a way more reasonable explanation than literally fucking anything else. <laughs> it's Halloween prankster, I would say, more likely than actual demon. Which was one thing yeah. they put forward, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, moreover, all of these sightings uh, that occurred after the publication of the original article are in question, right? Everything that got reported after the original article are in question. Because people might have just been trying to get in on the fun. Doris, like I said, is the only person who I think had a 100% genuine experience that might have been muddled by adrenaline, yeah. right? Um, I fucking doubt that this was supernatural. Now... That being said, Linda doesn't have uh, thoughts that are so laconic about this creature. Um, her book has a fuck ton of chapters about the origin of the creature. And when I say a fuck ton, I mean a fuck ton. There's like How? at least six that talk about what the creature could have been. Um, 
including everything from werewolves, dogmen, and aliens to misidentified animals, right? Yeah. And, like, the whole satanic panic bullshit and all that stuff. And, like, there's a section she talks about Native American legends and and skinwalkers and all that shit. And, like, I don't even want to get into that, right? Because, like, this is not even... I don't even think that this is in the Diné territory, if if I'm not mistaken. Although it could be some form of Algonquin, which I believe had uh, skinwalker traditions. But, like... Uh, honestly, I didn't bother looking into it because, like, I doubt that that, that has no bearing on this whatsoever, yeah. right? Um, and it's just like white people being white people and taking it and like using Native American lore to tell a story. Um, so whatever, I don't, I don't fucking care. Um, but based on the book and her sections in the the Bray Road Bees documentary, she thinks that this is a subspecies uh, huh. that has been surviving in the southern part of Wisconsin. A land known for its flatness and lack of cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she goes so far as to say that this is a species that developed from canines that had found, a, found it advantageous to stand through evolutionary forces. Given the fact that canines are predominantly carnivorous, although they are omnivorous um, and they can eat plant-based foods, they just can't eat, like, you know, grapes, onions, chocolate, you know, yeah. a bunch of shit because they'll just die. Uh but they're not quite obligate carnivores as cats are, but they're still generally, I think they prefer meats if they can get their hands Yeah. By stand through um, evolutionary forces, does she, is she implying that this is like an ancient, like, uh, uh like a, like a lower branch of the canid <laughs> that just like survived? Something like that. Like she thinks that it's, it's an, a modification of like a wolf huh. that found that it was reasonable to stand up. And then she's like talking about like, the pelvis shifting and all that sorts of shit. Oh, like, sorry, it's I meant, nothing. She, she meant to literal stand upright, not stand as into like yeah, like not giving yeah. to evolutionary forces. I misinterpreted that sentence. No, I no. gotcha. She literally means like it An evolved stand. to stand. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Um. But that being said, like a wolf standing seems very unlikely to be like a uh, advantageous like configuration. Yeah. Right. For humans, it made sense because we were uh kind of like a combination of tree dwellers and land dwellers, right? So, like, we did both, and, like, having the ability to just, like, have, like, you know, go vertical and climb was very good for us, right? Yeah. It also helped us, it also helped us become, uh, like, the whole, like, exhaustion farming, like, right, where we, uh, hunting, where we just, like, fucking chased after something for so many miles that it, like, literally couldn't run anymore, and it froze up, yeah. and we just carried it away. <laughs> Like, like that. That's those are cases where that would happen, right? And not only that, but if we're talking about a hominid, a, uh, a hominid or a humanoid, which she uses this term "canidid," which is like really dumb to me yeah. like, to refer to a human wolf or something. Um, but like, it, it, there's no reason. I see no good reason for there to be like an evolutionary path to bipedal like wolves, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that being said, misunderstanding evolutionary science is probably the least problematic thing about Linda, in my opinion. Misunderstanding um, evolutionary science is what has given us years of things to talk about. <laughs> well, well, the other thing, too, is like usually misunderstanding evolutionary science would be enough of a reason for me to get mad because usually they they tie it to religion. Right? Yeah. In this case, she's not tying evolutionary science to religion. However... However, 
Um, she has a tacit approval, and I'd maybe argue even explicit approval of Marcel Guirel and Robert Temple. Um, and that is far, far, far more troubling. Oh, no. And this is the, the part of the, the thing where if you don't want to hear about uh, how the Beast of Bray Road is tied to uh, Helena Blavatsky, you might want to stop listening to the podcast because that's what the rest of this podcast is going to be. Oh, um, sure. Uh, so, I'm Googling these guys. No, I'm going to tell you everything okay. you need to know about them. Don't worry. Uh, so, uh, just like the, the, the splash screen on their Google results makes me sad. <laughs> so... You probably don't know who either of these people are. No. Um, which is fine, because I didn't know who either of them were either. Uh, Marcel is a French anthropologist who spent his time studying the Dogon people of Mali in West Africa. Now, if you're not worried about where this story is going to go, just based on that sentence alone, you should probably uh, take some time and like actually read about the history of Africa and how Europeans have fucked it. Because that that sentence is like... like everything in regards to like everything that should send off alarm bells um so during his time studying the dogon in the 1930s marcel made some discoveries and i put that in the heaviest air quotes ever uh about the people chief amongst them include that they had an uncanny knowledge of astronomical bodies apparently despite a lack of telescopes um the dogon told marcel that saturn had rings uh, Jupiter had four major moons, and the star Sirius had two companion stars in elliptical orbits, <clears throat> with one being the heaviest star, um, which Sirius B is a dwarf star. So that is a thing. Um, it, but allegedly... It is a thing. It, 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 the, the, the people pe- people going and investigating other people tend to, like... They, they, they have a, a, an error in their logic, I'll say, as an understatement, in that, like, if you're not studying something with the exact same tools or technology that we have been studying something, there's no possible way you should be aware of this thing. Therefore, it's, like, magical knowledge. Not just... Yes, that's true. Not just people have more than one way of observing natural phenomena. That's true, but I think it's way simpler than that, even. In this case, oh, I think I just had. I it's think I think I had our memory. I'll let you continue, but I'm pretty sure this is this is more Ropen esque than this, it is. Yeah, uh, not believing that somebody could learn something. Uh, this is actually uh, almost identical to the rope. Um, <laughs> so uh, allegedly, uh, the Dogon also had ancient drawings that were incredibly accurate of Sirius B, the dwarf star, in its yeah. shared orbit with Sirius. Which I have no fucking clue what an incredibly accurate drawing of that means. Like, what do they mean? The like the trajectories? Do they mean like the star, how the star looks? Because I could draw an incredibly accurate drawing of a star too by just like making a circle and then drawing a bunch of swirls. Yeah, I think incredibly accurate to him would just mean it's close it it's more similar to like the European depiction of whatever it would have looked like at the time than he would have expected from the... Same thing with, like, dinosaurs and shit. Like, uh... Yeah. Regardless. We're not going to go into that much more detail. Um, but... Uh, using this ethnogra- ethnography that was created by Marcel, Robert Temple, in 1976, penned 
the serious mystery. The serious mystery. As in serious the the star. Yeah. Um, not serious as in serious. I'm super serious. Or the radio station. Um, which is named after the star. Um, so taking Marcel's work at complete face value, right? He believes everything that Marcel said is completely accurate and there's nothing wrong. Um, this book, deeply fucking problematic. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> deeply problematic. I'm sure there's some wild things in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so due to Marcel's interactions and reporting on Dogan, the group has become a major focus point for ancient alien theorists. <laughs> now, for those of you who are unaware, here's the whirlwind explanation of why ancient alien hypotheses uh, are super fucking problematic. Um, so it's rooted in a, a line of pseudoscientific thought that believes in an Ur civilization that was far greater than the, our extant one, right? Or at the very least, on par with our extant one. Historically speaking, this Ur civilization has, uh, what it had has shifted over time, right? Um, so more recent interpretations of it believe that they had nuclear, like, weapons. And, like, the Bhavgad Gita specifically talks about, like, nuclear holocaust and things along those lines. But, like, it's dumb. Um, so basically... The precise nature of this root civilization varies, as I said, based on the time frame. Um, but the long and short of it is that in this comprehension of history, uh, the older the civilization, the closer it is to this root civilization. Therefore, the more correct its culture is, right? Um, frequently, this culture is at some point tied to Lemuria or Atlantis, uh, which are two separate concepts, by the way, because, of course, they are, um, which in some instances for a while was thought to be like in the Mediterranean because of its mm -hmm. relation to Plato. Um, so for a while it was thought that like the Egyptians were related to it. Then for a while it was thought that the Indians were related to it or the Chinese. So it's moved locations generally at the equator, more equatorial, right? Um, which in practice means that uh, the people who were in that civilization probably had a pretty high melanin count in contrast to the white people who are talking about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it was thought that these civilizations, as a result, these older civilizations, had the wisdom of great civilizations. That's why things like the Bhavka Gita are taken like by some people as like super literal, um, which, once again, the motto of this podcast, from my perspective, is don't take mythology super literally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So conspicuously, however, Brandon, in the 1700s, Jean-Sylvain Bailey suggested that Atlantis was at the North Pole. Oh, perfect. This is known as Hyperborean Atlantis. Now, uh, Atlantis is a root civilization in this hypothesis, right? Uh, that seeded all older civilizations before it, and therefore, it would have had to been pretty white if it was in Atlant It was in Antarctica, because that's super fucking north, yeah. and everyone who's super fucking north is super white, right? So uh, that means that it's not brown people who, are respons who have the most wisdom. It was actually white people who spread the information to brown people, uh, which then got spread to white yeah, people again. He's so doing the even though, even though, even though they, the brown people have the, the rules now, they're just like temporarily holding the knowledge 
because it was really just white people the whole time. Yeah, it, it was passed down to them through or acquired via means of these other people. He's doing the the, yeah. the the water ape thing and the whole. It also back to the don't take shit literally. Like the, I like this. We, mm-hmm. we know the origin. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. We do. We explicitly know the origin of Atlantis. Um. <laughs> But like it's super fucking racist, yeah. obviously, because it's 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 taking away like the one thing that they the they were giving like other cultures that were not white. Yeah. And like being like, yeah, but like everything good about your culture is still because of white people. Yeah. Right? That's that's literally all it is. It's just literally saying, nah, yeah, you you have some good stuff, but like you only have that because of white people. Um and uh the, like the reason that he came up with this was because he read the like he read like Greek myths, right? Yeah. Um, and I heard this on uh behind the bastard, so I didn't do like a separate like verification of this, but this is like my understanding of how he knows about it. Um, and like he read like the the myth of Hercules and like how he went down to retrieve Cerberus and yeah. like, he's a figure of light and all that stuff, and like um he also read the myth of Persephone and was like, oh well. Th- th- this must mean that the light disappeared for a long time, right? Yeah. Um, so that must mean that it was, like, in the north, right? Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, uh, the myth of Persef- Persephone, for example, it's super fucking obvious what that means and what that refers to. It's it's a metaphor for the fucking passing of the seasons. Yeah. The, the, it, it, like, it, knowing where, where, where you're getting this information... I'll say I trust Robert Evans' reporting significantly greater than Linda's reporting. I, I definitely trust it more than Linda's because Robert Evans is an actual reporter, uh-huh. an actual journalist. <laughs> um, so, uh, long story short, this results in feeling uh, the major beliefs of theosophy, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which is a religion started by Helena Velotsky, which is not which, problematic uh, at all. Yeah, no, no, it di- it isn't responsible for like Aryanism and like the Aryan race and like Nazism or any of the other fun stuff we deal with today. Not in the slightest. And if you can't get the sarcasm there, I'm being fucking sarcastic. It is incredibly problematic. Yep. Um and after World War II happened and, you know, the Nazis did a genocide, uh it was no longer in vogue to have this theory that like white people are responsible for everything. So it mutated and became ancient aliens. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also, I also want to point out ancient aliens still has the Nord aliens, yeah. which are the white aliens. Yeah. Uh, so it's still pretty much just whiteness is responsible for things. And not only that, not only that, uh, usually white civilizational, like, like, monuments and things that they've created aren't questioned like nobody's fucking questioning the coliseum for ancient you aliens know, no one's questioning now that you say that <laughs> i'm like, like holy shit <laughs> yeah no one's questioning the coliseum no one's questioning fucking uh the like stonehenge hadrian's wall none of that shit none of that shit is is in question it's all fucking non-white people shit that gets questioned there, it, uh, it's it's so it's beyond not questioning things it's knowingly omitting right right so like yes. so like like knowingly omitting information to draw the conclusion that you want so with like pyramids for example um some people would go well 
you can't just do that, which is true. You got to try it, try it out. There's trial and error, practice things. So by like people saying, oh, pyramids are aliens, they're, they're willfully omitting all of the like pyramids that didn't quite work out and like partially collapsed or that they've like mm -hmm. have clear iteration and you can clearly tell this was built then yes. this was but like there's a whole yes. like like not even a little bit like a lot of years but a lot of efforts of a lot of other people to get to the point where they could build the great pyramids and you're just kind of omitting that and going aliens <laughs> it's yes. crazy yes exactly yeah it's super racist on face value it's racist and if you dig into its origins, it's even more racist somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's it's fucking terrible. I, I I was talking to Christina about it. I'm like, you know, the History Channel actually hasn't changed that much. Because remember back in the day, they always had uh, documentaries about World War II and Nazism, right? Yeah. And how, like, now they just talk about ancient aliens, which is just like an offshoot of Nazism. Same. And it was always how the Nazis were always so much better. And we like magically beat them somehow. Because it was always like, well, the, yeah. the Nazis had their own ufos that they invented and you're like well when where when did the how how is this how is this a thing the nazis were constantly on fucking crystal meth yeah <laughs> like this. that's that's how the blitzkrieg worked they were just drugged up that's the entire literally time how it worked which, that is literally, by the literally way, responsible for their combat superiority. Is one hundred percent. If I was playing like an RPG war game, like a tabletop war game, and that was a thing, like, you know, I would just spend all of my pre-planning, like just developing methods and accruing people. And, like we literally had a campaign where I did that to a bear. Yeah, <laughs> just we did drug up a bear and use it as a weapon. Oh, that's shit. Mm -hmm. We. Uh, we injected a bunch of drugs into a bear, and it just ruined the entire encounter for the the DM. It ruins the whole um, whole encounter, but yeah, bear um, drug, drug bear. So, Mushu. So uh, at this point, I think that's what we named the bear. Yeah. Um. So Robert Temple at this point, uh, returning to his story, is absolutely a believer in ancient aliens. Cool. Um. Because he claimed that this knowledge held by the Dogon people. Came from fish-headed aliens, Brandon. Huh. Using Marcel's work as the basis and, like, the, like, underlying, like, this is why this is factual. Isn't thing, that right? from, like, Futurama? There's a, a, there's a cartoon where there's, like, fish in spacesuits that are filled with water. That's gotta be a thing. I wanna say Jimmy Neutron. Like, Jimmy Neutron, SpongeBob, Futurama, like, there's, I've seen this before. There is something, yeah. Oh, oh it's in, um, it's in the Umbrella Academy. Oh, that might... Also that, yeah. it's that and the Umbrella Academy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anywho, um, so it's very funny because Robert claims that his work has been suppressed, but I could purchase it right now on both his website and Amazon without any trouble whatsoever. Yeah, that's a thing people do, I think, mm -hmm. though. Yeah. It's like, yeah. this line of thought is being suppressed, so if you need to fight back against the things that are suppressing this knowledge, you have to buy it from me <laughs> yep, yep 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 um so that being said marcel's work has been thoroughly discredited and like when i say thoroughly discredited there is an academic paper that i've linked in the show notes that like tears everything he did to shreds um all of the information that the dogon people shared with marcel was available knowledge that was currently in like the existing 
uh, like zeitgeist of information about like astronomy and things along those lines. Yeah. Um, so it's super not impossible for them to learn to the va- through the grapevine, which this is another thing that that uh, that happens too is people underestimate the ability for cultures to have communications uh, because their culture doesn't look the same. Yeah. Right. Um. So like they assume that like information doesn't travel between tribal groups oh, because because how <laughs> yeah how could such a thing happen? But they look yeah. different from us. Um, how could yeah, they possibly yeah. have information? How could they do things differently than us and still have effect like be effective? Um, but in reviewing the work, Walt uh, Wouter van Beek uh, more or less also identified that Marcel was. <laughs> Responsible for the group's knowledge of Sirius entirely. What? <laughs> Only people who were in the group that Marcel interviewed and like his in-group knew anything about the the astronomy stuff. <laughs> so, so he basically went like had a picture and went, "Have you seen this man?" And then they described the picture, and he goes, "Holy shit, they've seen that man!" Yeah. <laughs> I want to point out also, Marcel got a doctorate for this work. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so Robert, Robert Temple's work is easy to draw a direct link of, to Nazis from. Yeah. And it's argued against a fully fals- falsifiable ethnograph, which is super important to remember, right? Uh, there is not a very hard link. It, like, you don't have to know that much to be like, this shit is racist as hell. Yeah. Reading that book. You could literally read that book and be like, shit, that's fucking racist. Yeah. Right. Um, so how does this all fit in with a Beast of Bray Road, Brandon? <laughs> like, Sirius is the dog star. Yeah. That's it. That's it? it? <laughs> That's why she references this book. Sirius what? is the dog star. Um, but, but there's why? also another thing, but we'll get that in a second. Huh? So wait, Linda uh, references uh, this book because Sirius is the dog star. There's another thing, too. Um, one of the uh, sightings also occurs near a place named Hebron, Wisconsin. Uh, I removed that sighting because it was super fucking boring. Um, the town name matches the biblical Hebron, which is located in Southern Old Testament, Judah. Yeah. Uh, the site of an oracle, which is important to her for some reason. Robert Temple, in his book, has an appendix uh, talking about Hebron, the Hebron Shrine. In the conclusion of the appendix, which... Linda reproduces, there is the following quote. Uh, we should note that with a minimum surprise, the guardian tribe of the shrine of Hebron, the Calebites, were, quote, dogmen. Dogs are the guardians and preserve the secrets of the dog star Sirius. That, that is the link. That's the, it's so that tenuous. Like the, so the, the title mm-hmm. of Robert Temple's book was The Serious Mystery. But if I yep. was just looking for any literature to like link a werewolf to things Sirius wouldn't necessarily send up a flag like hey let me reference this mm-hmm. I'd be looking yeah. for things by authors I, I know that write about a thing or books that have mm-hmm. words more closely associated with werewolves which to me suggests mm-hmm. she was already somewhat aware that this existed mm-hmm. and drew upon it mm-hmm. which also makes the whole um omitting or of information <laughs> of certain people um uh, don't worry brandon don't worry it's gonna get worse oh no 
Oh no! It's gonna get worse. I'm. I. I argue that that not only did Linda Godfrey know about all of this, uh, she was upset about the fact that he was disproven. Um. Oh. So, it's an incredibly tenuous link. But Linda goes out of her way to make not one but two references to yeah. the serious du- mysteries in her in her book. Twice no. it shows up in two distinct places. No, Linda. Not just once. No, which, Linda. Like if it only happened once, I might throw it out. But it happened in two fucking places, Brandon. Linda, bad. And moreover, when she's talking about Marcel's research, uh, she expresses sorrow at the fact that Marcel's research was unable to oh, be confirmed no. by other researchers. And this is a direct quote from the book. Oh. This and other detailed data were documented in a 1976 book by Robert Temple. The serious mystery, based largely on Garel's research. Unfortunately, later researchers were unable to confirm the same information that Garel had so painstakingly recorded. In some of, she says Garel, but it's actually Robert Temple. Yeah. Um, Temple's book became so controversial. Linda, bad. She's, uh, she's upset about the fact that the ethnography was like literally disproven. Yeah. And now, Brandon. To me, this reads as though she's got a pretty favorable opinion of, of Robert Temple and his his belief she's system. She's more than just aware um, of it. She's, oh. Yeah, she's more than just aware of it. Because, Brandon, here's the other thing. Here's the other fucking thing. Uh, this di- disapproval of Marcel's work was already well known when she published this book in 2002. Oh. Because the paper was released in 1991. And not only that, she was very clearly aware that there was a critique of this work. Because she mentions it in the fucking book, Brandon. Linda, bad. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not a big fan of Linda Godfrey. No, oh, uh, Godfrey. Sorry. No, you don't have yeah, to get her name so, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's how um, the Beast of Bray Road ends up. Like, there's nothing else to it. It's it's fucking nothing. It's just a thing that a a lady who believes in some pretty who's okay, at least okay with some pretty, like, racially insensitive thought oh. uh, did. Like... Linda, bad. Yeah, it's it's not good. Oh. It's super bad. It's not a good look. No. So, yeah. Um, that, 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 that's about it, Brandon. It was a long <laughs> one, but, uh... Yeah, it was a long one. I mean, I also we got, we got there, unfortunately. Uh, I super don't recommend reading the book. By the way, it is very, very poorly written, like very poorly written. the The structure of the story is bad. The way that it's written I is don't bad. Think the the spelling mistakes are bad. She's a good writer in that. I also don't think she has. Also, actually, I won't say I don't think she has a good editor. I suspect she doesn't have an editor. And oh yeah, no, I don't believe that. In uh, her art, yeah, I'm not gonna say bad things about her art. Her art's fine. Her art's fine. She it's, she was originally trying to be an artist. She like, was. The form works a little bit off. I suspect she's also a like how she fell into the writing position. I think her art was more of a. I don't think she had like well, s- like training per se. She had a but more Brandon, of a passion. She tells, she tells the story in great detail about how she became a writer in the book. I'm not going to repeat it because I don't care. Yeah. Um, 
but it's it's like it fell into her lap. Um, but yeah, I I I have animosity towards her, um, and that's mostly because I think she does a really really irresponsible job of reporting. Yeah, like incredibly irresponsible. I think she is. She's she's the only reason that this myth is even kept alive at this point. The the myth of bright, the beast of bright road. Um, she's like its main proponent. If you do any kind of research into it, everything talks about her and her work. Um, there's obviously like now it's like a part of like the the textural landscape of Wisconsin lore, but still, um, it's entirely her re- like her, she's entirely responsible for it. Yeah, there's no one else like really involved in this. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the episode on uh on the Beast of Bray Road and I uh and yeah. Yeah. Fun. Hopefully I wasn't too uh hopefully I wasn't too uh rude and insensitive. There No, you weren't, but you gave me the sads. <laughs> oh man. Um anywho, this has been Cryptopedia. Uh thank you for slogging through this. We we appreciate it. Um our website is cryptopediacast.com. Our Instagram is at cryptopediacast.com. Our Twitter is at cryptopediacast. And our email is cryptopediacast at gmail.com or us at cryptopediacast.com. If you do send us an email critiquing us, though, can you please provide timestamps? Because I don't want to have to re-listen to the entire episode again to find out what we did wrong. Yeah, or like a specific, um, or, or describe a specific thing within the, the content yeah. itself. Help help, help, yeah, help us yeah, figure just, out where, where, where we're, we're fucking up. Just, just please, please, like, please just, if you're going to take the time to write the email, just, like, put the location. Help us. Also, don't make ad hominem attacks, like, hominid attacks, because, like, that's not nice, right? One person, one person recently made fun of our singing, and it wasn't even our singing. (laughs) It was Danny DeVito's singing. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Anywho, we have a Patreon that supports this podcast, pays for hosting, all that good stuff. And uh, Brandon, why don't you thank our Jack? Yeah, this week? thank you to Clay Sinclair, Marty Von Party, Bird Schneider, Lenwood Sharp, Matthew Kelso, Bushcraft. Matthew I, 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 cross, I crisscrossed two different lines. I crisscrossed them. I got the first. I crisscrossed applesauce. Them. Matthew Smith, Bushcraft Kelso, and Will Smith. Chica chica. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, if you have any monster requests or stories, please send them in. I have, I literally only have one idea left right now. Um, this was, I, I pulled, I pulled out one of my ideas that I've had for a while. (laughs) (laughs) There's, you know, Um, if you've got any, any links that gives me more information on the loop guru or Rougarou, send them to me because I don't have enough for even that much on them. And I'll, I'll do another werewolf episode at some point. Uh, Loop Guru and Rougarou are not that interesting, though. Like realistic, they're not. Speaking. I just want to I mean, like, like for the get a full playset. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that's there's true. not. I get it. There's not. There's not that much on them of uh, the, of qualitative or quantitative content. Speaking of speaking of full playset, they're reprinting Liliano the Veils from Innistrad. Are they in standard? Which is fucking wild to me. But, like, apparently people who play Standard are, like, not super, like, impressed by it. And I'm just like, oh, you never played in a Standard, in an environment where that card existed. No, I remember that, like, that was, that was a thing for you for a bit. I didn't have a Liliana. I know, you wanted a Liliana. 
I wanted a Tamiyo. Oh, that's that. I was getting mixed up. That's what you wanted. That's exactly okay. My apologies. Yeah. Um, Soren Markov was a fucking busted ass card from that set too, from uh, Dark Ascension, I think. Yeah. Anywho, this is this is not a podcast about magic. Brandon, give, why don't you give your plug? Yep, you could find me, oops, bumping the mic, on Instagram at donkey underscore hands. My website is boyrb.com. My email is brandon at cryptopediacast.com. And my Twitter is at cryptobrandon. My Instagram is mu2057. My Twitter is jfdunham. My website is johndunhamgames.com. And my email is john at cryptopediacast.com. Our art was done by Tom Hill. You could find him on Instagram at... I'm 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 crisscrossing my lines this time again almost on Instagram at Thomas Michael Hill. His website is greatergloryco.com and his email is tommikehill at gmail.com. As always, I'm John. I'm Brandon. And things are gonna get weird.